I'm Jen. I'm Zoe. And I'm Steve. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're continuing the time travel and time loop series with a look at the movie that put time loops on the map. We'll talk about the careers of the movie's little-known original screenwriter, its well-known co-writer and director, and its female lead. And we'll discuss what we would do if we were stuck in a time loop, and what day we'd choose to put on repeat, as we discuss the 1993 classic, Groundhog Day. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Jen. It has been a really long time, I feel like. I, maybe it hasn't been a really long time, but it feels like it's been a long time since I recorded with you, so I'm really glad to have you back here. It's good. Uh, maybe we're in some kind of time loop. I don't know. <laughs> well, how so? <laughs> I mean, if it's, I, we don't know if it's been a really long time or not a long time. I couldn't tell you either. Yeah. It's been a summer, at least. Yeah. I think like, the last time we were talking, though, was probably about a Gen X movie. And before we introduce our guest today, I was wondering, is there anything new going on with Monadnock Underground right now? Oh my gosh. Um, last night, I got home from the night market, which was this awesome, like our little town closed off the whole downtown area for like shopping and music and food trucks and stuff. But this year, Go Monadnock, which is like the other half of my Monadnock Underground Media. Go Monadnock is like the local focus. Monadnock Underground is the literary focus. But Go Monadnock had a whole stage, like a whole second stage of our own. We wrote a little play. We had some skits, like some skits of posts from our town Facebook page, which is like notorious for its silly drama. And we uh, did some fake reenactments of those. And then we did like our podcast, but live uh with a little bit of extra like rat pack flair and then we closed it all off with a with a jazz band that was really awesome it was really fun that sounds amazing oh my gosh i wish i could have seen that and live podcasting is wow we're also like a tiny publishing house we just we put out a self-healing workbook and we're about to come out with a novel an 80s road novel that's on monadnockunderground.com you can find all that yeah, I'm going to put Zoe's information in the in the show notes. Um, they do a literary journal publishing house. They're doing all kinds of exciting projects. Please go and check that out. And I still haven't listened to your podcast, but now that you've done a live podcast, I'm kind of curious. So I think I might have to check it out, even if everything will go completely over my head. Yeah, it's it's really, really local. It's really about our, our town. But I mean, I think I think it's funny anyway. You can tell me. <laughs> very good. Very good. So I'm also like, I'm excited to have Zoe on today. And I'm also very excited to introduce our guest today, who is a fellow film podcaster who's joining us all the way from England, Steve Doyle, the creator and host of the show. For me, these films are the juice. So Steve and I share a love of film and a love of some of the same directors, including Quentin Tarantino. And I can't quite remember how I met him on Twitter. But I know that when I checked out his show, I was really impressed by the knowledge that he brought to each episode, as well as his passion for film. 
So I'm really looking forward to his thoughts today on Groundhog Day. And I'm also looking forward, and I think we're still doing this, to appearing on his podcast later this fall to discuss the Francis Ford Coppola horror romance, Bram Stoker's Dracula. So Steve, welcome to Every Rom-Com. We're so glad to have you. Jen, thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. Um, got a lot to live up to now. Uh, pressure's on. But um, but no, thank you so much. And yes, definitely, uh, as long as you're still free, I'd love to have you on to, to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, in time for, uh, for Halloween. Yes, <laughs> an all-time favorite. So you're really passionate about movies, and I just kind of want to know, like, what's your background with film? Like, when did you start getting interested? Or, like, what kinds of things have you done in the past related with film? So I studied um, film studies at uh, A-level, which is basically your senior year in high school, I suppose, just before um, college. So yeah, I studied it. I studied film studies there. Um, we covered quite a lot of um, kind of classic films. We did like The Wizard of Oz and uh, Citizen Kane and then kind of uh, more kind of up-to-date films. Um, so that gave me a good kind of way of thinking of films in more of an analytical way rather than kind of just enjoying them, maybe taking out the themes and things from them. And yeah. around about that same time, maybe a couple of years before me and a couple of my friends, uh, we just kind of really just got into, we just went into a phase of really getting into films. So it it kind of started with horror films. We all kind of like passed around, you know, Friday the 13th and Halloween and um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre to each other and would chat about it. And then, um, and then yeah, we got really got into Tarantino and um, kind of got, went into a big phase of getting into Robert De Niro and Al Pacino as well. So my, I think it was my ninth episode has my two friends on it, uh, Dan and, and Dean. And um, we basically go back and we, we talk about that time and how we kind of got into it. And we first started getting jobs. So we'd, we'd spend like, you know, half of our money on buying DVDs and then chatting about it and all that kind of stuff. Um, we had our own little mini film club. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of how I got into film. It was just a, my brother's always been quite into it. So it was kind of just a, an interest that was always there. And, um, I just loved finding out like the bits behind the scenes. So obviously some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is, is fascinating about Bill Murray. Um, so I love finding out that stuff as well as, um, kind of enjoying and appreciating, um, the films themselves as well. So just, yeah, just, a something I had just a strong interest in and it kind of waned for a bit, you know, I, Got, got into work, got married, had a couple of kids and stuff. But just recently, I've been able to kind of find a bit more time to to kind of get back into it. So just recently, I've watched Cool Hand Luke Network. I just bought Paris, Texas the other day. So uh, so yeah, there's a few I'm I'm just going to try and that I kind of missed when I was growing up. That I'm going to try and get back into as well. So Steve, what's been your favorite episode of your show so far? Um, I think the the one I mentioned that I had my friends on. I uh, I really enjoyed enjoy doing that one. I kind of, um, I tend not to, um, swear on my own podcast, but on that one, I kind of just let, I know what my friends are like. So I just kind of didn't even mention that. So it was, um, even though all my podcast episodes, I like to think are quite natural and it's quite a natural conversation that was maybe even more so. Um, so yeah, I really, I really enjoyed doing that one kind of good reminiscing with them. I also, I really enjoyed doing the episode in which I, um, compared there will be blood and no country for old men. I really enjoyed the research behind it and and comparing the two and the first one as well uh, Pulp Fiction I suppose you never forget your first time and uh, yeah I really enjoyed I really enjoyed making that I still kind of listen back to that every now and then just like little snippets from it and it was that was that was really good too I really need to watch There Will Be Blood because that sounds so intriguing I've still not seen that one so I need to watch that so I can listen to that concept that's such a good concept I think just from oh, what wow. I know about There Will Be Blood Two movies I actually have seen too, and it does. That sounds like a really interesting episode. I would, I'd love to hear that. So, 
on a completely different note, um, since we're a rom-com podcast, like I want to know what are some of your favorite romantic comedies? I got asked this question on a, on a different podcast, um, that I was on and it took, and it, I didn't know beforehand I was going to be asked about it. So it, <laughs> it took me a little bit by surprise. I was like, uh, um, um, so the only one I could pick at the time was that I could think of that I really enjoyed was, was crazy stupid love with, um, with Ryan Gosling. I remember I went through a Ryan Gosling phase. I would like watch three or four films in the cinema, one after the other, which were all Ryan Gosling films. And that was one of them. So, so I did enjoy that. But then when I really started thinking about it and I, I listened to your guys, um, clueless episode. And in that one, um, you mentioned that, or you all mentioned that, you know, rom-com is, is actually very wide, um, as a category of film, you know? Um, yeah. so I was, I was really thinking about it. So I really enjoyed your guys wedding singer, uh, episode. So I'm a big fan of, of that film. Yeah. Um, love actually i enjoyed that one as well <laughs> you guys talked yeah. about it um that's a kind of a christmas staple for me um i'm actually going to do an episode about the film i think i mentioned this to you um uh jen actually when we were first talking about maybe doing something together i'd asked you if you'd watched um keeping the faith with um yeah uh, ed norton and ben stiller so i'm yeah. gonna i'm actually gonna be doing that one with uh with another uh podcaster uh in the new year Fantastic. Um, yeah. and i'm gonna do i love you man this month on my own that's a that's a rom-com technically um yeah, so kind of a do... bromance too yeah, yeah 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 definitely yeah it's got a two sides to it and um i'm forgetting sarah marshall that's probably my favorite kind of apatow style film so yeah that's another one that i really enjoy as well so there's definitely there's definitely a few in there that, I, that i'm a fan of so what what are your passions outside of podcasting and film I, you know, as I'm sure you're you're aware, as we kind of uh, being a, a fellow parent and everything, there's not a lot of free time. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I you know I enjoy spending as much time as I can with my uh, with my wife and the kids, kind of especially at the weekend. We've just gone for a nice uh, a nice walk and a picnic this morning. Um, so so yeah, enjoy spending as much time with them as I can. I'm a bit of a sports fan, so my local team is uh, is Plymouth Argyle Football Club. So uh, I try to get get to see them as much as I can. I've just taken up. Well, I say I've taken up golf. I've started going to the driving range a little bit. So, um, so yeah, that's something that I try to do every now and then. And um, I also go to a this Monday evening club called Andy's Man Club, which is a it's kind of like a not a group therapy, but it's basically a group for men who are kind of struggle with mental health issues. Um, so that's something that I really look forward to every every kind of week. So we kind of it's two hours. You go through five questions each, get to know each other, and um, kind of help each other out, I suppose. Um, so yeah, that's something that I'm really passionate about outside of kind of film and, and everything else that I do work-wise in that too. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty great. And where can people go to find out more about your work? Yeah, so um, I have a, a Twitter page, um, which are at Films Are The Juice. Uh, so I, that's the, um, Twitter is the thing I'm most uh, kind of active on. So you'll find most about when my episodes come out on there. Um, I have an Instagram, which is at at these films are the juice um not as active on there but still put out a lot of information uh and i've got a facebook page which is just the name of the podcast for me these films are the juice so those are the main places where um you'll uh, yeah find out about the podcast and then the links to everywhere you can listen to it which are the usual places yeah and definitely check out steve's work and also you know check out our show notes you can find all of his links you can find his bio information you can also find zoe's link if you want to submit to monadnock underground like we got always look at the show notes guys there's a wealth of information in there so yeah i'm really looking forward to our conversation today but before we get started just a few notes first as usual there will be a spoiler free section at the beginning of the episode and we will warn you when the spoiler section starts 
We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And now we're going to listen to the trailer for Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day! Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Ned! Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now... We could do whatever we want. He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life Mm. like there's no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again, (laughs) till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. (laughs) What a waste of time. I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimerais. You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. What should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. He might be okay. Yes! Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. Okay, so that's that's our trailer for Groundhog Day, and it was released uh, February 12th, 1993. And I want to say, February 12th, how did they not release this before Groundhog Day? That's <laughs> a, a really good point. I think maybe the uh, maybe one of the premieres was on Groundhog Day, I think, when I was looking back at it. Maybe like the, sure. the LA one, but but yeah, no, they, uh, they missed, definitely missed a trick there. Yeah, I just feel like you could have put the wide release so that, like, yeah, people could have seen. Well, whatever. It yeah. worked anyway. It worked. Like, <laughs> so, Groundhog Day is directed by Harold Ramis. It was written by Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis, and it stars Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, and Chris Elliott. 
And so the the basic premise of the movie is that Phil Connors is a self-absorbed TV weatherman sent to report on the annual Groundhog Day festivities in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, with his producer Rita and cameraman Larry. So they're forced to stay in Punxsutawney a second night by a blizzard, and Phil wakes up the next morning to discover that he's stuck in a time loop and it's Groundhog Day again. So as the movie continues, he begins living the same day over and over, and eventually decides to use the time loop to learn about Rita and pursue her romantically. So there are so many interesting facts about this movie that I've dispersed them actually throughout the entire outline. But even this beginning point, there's just so much to know. So as we know, Groundhog Day has become the classic of the time loop genre, but it was not the first time loop story. So there are a couple previous time loop stories, most notably the 1973 Richard A. Lupoff short story, 1201. And Lupoff actually considered but never filed a lawsuit against the Groundhog Day producers. There was also, though, an even earlier time loop story that I only discovered researching this episode, a 1965 Japanese novel called The Girl Who Leapt Through Time by Yasutaka Tsutsui. There was also a TV episode, uh, season five, episode 18 of Star Trek, The Next Generation, Cause and Effect, that had a time loop. And there were two movies made of Lupoff's 1201, a short film that was released in 1990, and a TV movie that was also released in 1993, but after Groundhog Day. But Groundhog Day's screenwriter, the original one, Danny Rubin, hadn't read or watched these stories and came up with the idea on his own. And according to E.T. Canada, one of his actual inspirations for Groundhog Day was Anne Rice's interview with the vampire, which made Rubin think about what it would be like to live forever. And that's so funny to me because like, actually, when he goes through his existential angst kind of phase in the movie, I did think a little bit about Louis from Interview with the Vampire. So (laughs) (laughs) the influence was there for me. And then Rubin purposely set the story on Groundhog Day so that it might catch on as a holiday movie to play every year. So smart thinking there. Definitely. Yeah. It's <laughs> so funny. He's like scanning the calendar, like which <laughs> holiday is underrepresented in film. And like, I mean, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, that I, it's good thinking. We need an Arbor Day movie, clearly. I don't know. There's probably some other obscure <laughs> holidays we haven't hit yet. <laughs> I think Arbor Day would be like a horror movie about trees in some way, but I don't really understand. (laughs) Yeah. So Ruben, and then Ruben wrote the first draft of the script in four days, which blows my mind, to be honest. Like, I'm not a fast writer like that. Like, does that impress you guys or? Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm a terribly slow writer. Yeah, it's amazing. Did you read that he, um, he started the film kind of about quarter of the way through in his script as well. His script started with, I think, the first day that um, Bill Murray was in the time loop. Yeah, So that's how yeah. the actual script kicked off, yeah. Yeah, I read about that too. And then Ramis told him that he wasn't going to change it, but um, yeah. <laughs> but then he did, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, actually brings us to the next thing, whereas, where Ruben wrote the first draft, but then Ramis and Bill Murray worked with him on subsequent drafts. Mm-hmm. And apparently Ramis and Murray had like very different visions. Like Slash Film said, while Ramis was hoping for Groundhog Day to be funny, warm, and romantic, Murray felt it needed to be somewhat chilly with a focus on existential crisis. So, yeah, and then, as you mentioned, there was a big change made where Ruben originally began in the middle of the story, and you never saw when he discovered he was in the time loop. And I think Ramis was right to make that change. Like, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think it was definitely a good uh, good move by, um, by Ramis to do that because I don't know yet. I don't see how you could start the film there because even if you're then going to do a flashback to before 
you know, before he actually started the time loops, I I think that could just make it a lot more confusing. So I think it's it's better that they started it, build some character around um, the main protagonist, and then and then go into it. It just makes it much more linear and um, kind of a little bit less confusing. Yeah, it would have been more like an art film, like the way he was doing it, and which which That's is right. a, which is a way to go, which could be interesting. But I yeah, I don't think it would have gripped people's imaginations quite as much if you don't see the moment right. of discovery. Mm. Yeah, that was my thought. Is like it could actually be a very interesting movie, but it would be a very different movie. Yeah, Ramis made that change, and he also gave the movie a more conventional three act structure. But the studio wanted the movie to be even more conventional. They wanted to add a scene where Murray was cursed by a gypsy. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Wow. What? As like an explanation for why he was in the time loop. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of a lot of movies like with time travel or time loops will have some kind of like ridiculous like device, right? Or body swap movies will have some ridiculous device. It's just not necessary. This movie shows that it's really not necessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I also heard um again this was on the rewatchables episode that they did of of the groundhog day. They um I don't know where they got this from but like an early draft or maybe something that was considered was um Bill Murray somehow jumping into um, the groundhogs, you know, it comes out with that little tree trunk or whatever, jumping in there and having some kind of fight with the groundhog uh, instead of the the car chase scene that they had. So, yeah, they definitely went through some some wacky ideas, obviously. I would say, <laughs> yeah. And then groundhog, you're gonna say oh, like go he did, was gonna do a body swap with the groundhog, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> I want that movie. That's the sequel we're waiting for. <laughs> Oh my God! He goes back to Punxsutawney. He body swaps with the groundhog. Yeah, like this is, Bill Murray could do this right now. Come on, Groundhog Day Two. <laughs> oh man, we've gotten silly really early in the episode today, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. So Groundhog Day is notoriously also a movie that caused a twenty-year rift in Harold Ramis and Bill Murray's friendship. And they had worked together and been friends since 1970. They worked on projects like Ghostbusters, Stripes, and Meatballs. But during Groundhog Day, they had just like fierce arguments. And Ramis and others involved with the production attributed this a lot to Murray and said that he was having really erratic behavior due to difficulties in his marriage. But Ramis is apparently the one who threw Murray up against a wall at one point during a disagreement, according to his daughter Violet's memoir. So there was just, yeah bad blood for whatever reason during the filming of this movie and the two reconciled, but it was shortly before Ramis's death in 2014. So I'm glad they reconciled, but yeah, what a shame that they, these collaborators who did such great work together and were such great friends were separated for so long. And so then in addition to other time loop movies that have been released since Groundhog Day, which obviously Groundhog Day had an influ huge influence on, there's also an Italian remake of the movie called Stork Day is one of the translations that was offered. And I could not find it whether there's an actual Stork Day in Italy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also couldn't find any way to watch this movie, at least in the US. So I had no way to decide if this was a good double feature or not. And Groundhog Day was also turned into a musical written by the original screenwriter, Danny Rubin, with songs by Tim Minchin. It opened in London in 2016 and on Broadway in 2017, and it received seven Tony nominations. And apparently Bill Murray saw it and really was moved by it. So it was actually a pretty good musical, apparently. Oh, great. Okay. So having done some interesting facts, we'll go to our general opinion of the movie and kind of like what I'd like to know is like, when did you first encounter this movie? What did you think of the time? Is it one you've rewatched over the years? 
And how did it strike you this time? So I remember this movie from being a kid, probably when it first came out. I'm not sure that I watched it when I was, I would have been like seven. I'm not sure I watched it that young, but I remember seeing it like in the 90s. I remember being Mm -hmm. fairly young and seeing it then. And I remember thinking it was hilarious, (laughs) but I had not watched it again until I watched it recently for preparing for this podcast. Wow. And yeah, so there were like, there were a few surprises you know they're just like really some dated fashions like Ned's coat was like blowing my mind that someone would wear that you know (laughs) (laughs) just like a 90s flashback but in like not a cool 90s way you know what I mean yeah and there's there's a lot about this movie that I think is really intriguing and interesting but there's some things about it that were like surprisingly how do I how do I want to phrase it like not not silly, but just like, I don't know. I think there's part of me that, that sides with Bill Murray in this like feud about which way it should go. And like <laughs> I have a hard time like totally accepting the lightheartedness of this situation. So you wanted more of the deep existential crisis element. I mean, it, that's not really surprising if you know me, but like I was having a really hard time. Like, that's what you're that's what you're gonna do. Like her? Why her? You know, like I'm just like having a hard time with the romance centeredness of it. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So I watched it probably probably a similar kind of age. Well, I would have been seven when it came out. Um so yeah, I don't think I watched it much longer after it came out on on VHS or was on or was on TV um, after it came out, and uh, yeah, I remember really enjoying it. I remember it's a film that I watched with I watched my whole family. My parents were big fans of Bill Murray, so I remember watching it, really enjoying it. And I think I've watched it. I've watched it relatively regularly. I think um, I watched it maybe every couple of years or so because it's such a it's such a palatable film for anyone. Really, it's only ninety five minutes long. There are some real laugh out loud moments in it. I think the 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 one the one thing I took it from took from it this time is it is heavily reliant obviously on bill murray he's almost in every scene mm. and it's i i would argue maybe it's his best performance possibly um because it just has that real balance between you know bill murray the sardonic sarcastic funny guy and bill murray the you know the very good actor i think everything else around it is is just great you know some of the supporting performances are really good um i really enjoyed andy mcdowell a lot more this time and for me ned steals the show for me that's uh, I, you know, I didn't realize there's a bit there's something that he does in this film that I do to my wife to annoy her sometimes um and I completely forgot you know it's just you take these things sometimes you just do them but then you forget where yeah. they actually came from the bit where he goes to him am I right or am I right or am I right right <laughs> right right I do that to my wife sometimes because I know it annoys her and when I saw it I was like oh god that's where I got that from um that's so funny. uh so yeah no I I I really enjoyed it um yeah some bits I think We'll get into something in it that's a little bit, obviously, not not brilliant um, to look at these days, but it's kind of similar in 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 that kind of um, this kind of style of film. I think with time loops, it's um, certain things are taken advantage of, obviously, mainly by male characters. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that later. Um, yeah. But generally, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and yeah, still find it as as funny as uh, as I did when I was when I was younger. I think. Yeah, and I think I've like sort of like similarities with both of you on some of these things. Um, I, I watched it probably when it came out on video. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but once we had it on video and I think we might've even like bought a tape of it or taped it off the TV, 
This is one that my brother and I watched a lot together. And of course, my brother and I watched a lot of TV in general. So this could be said of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the Star <laughs> Wars trilogy, Indiana Jones. Like, But this was in our rotation of our regular movies. And so I, I know the movie deeply. I almost, It was one of those I almost wouldn't have had to have rewatched. But I've also watched it like every few years, like you said, Steve. And mm-hmm. then I've watched it like several times preparing for this episode. And for me, I think... I underestimated how well made it was because yeah. as you say, it's so palatable and that's something that Roger Ebert said too. Like he wrote two different reviews of, of groundhog day when it first came out, he only gave it three stars. And then later he wrote a four star review of it saying that the movie went down kind of so seamlessly that he had underestimated its quality. And mm-hmm. I think it's an easy movie to take for granted how well put together it is, you know, and how actually how good Murray's acting is, how great the original idea by Danny Rubin is and how much Harold Ramis then added to make it, you know, also work on a conventional level. You know what I mean? Like, I think the existential angst movie would have been really interesting too, or a darker movie or more Mm -hmm. complicated movie would have been interesting. But I think it's such a, a rarity that you get a mainstream movie that has such deep things to actually say and That's touches really so many different point. people yeah. on such a yeah. on such a deep level because there That's are very really few people who who've seen this movie that don't like it or love it, you know? Yeah. And, and you and you guys are both so right. Like Bill Murray is just he's like just awesome in this movie and, and in such a like chill kind of way. Like this movie mm. is Bill Murray in a lot of ways. Yeah. Later I we agree I, with like, that. yeah. Later, I'm going to, though, like, I'm going to suggest later in the episode that there you could remake it, I do think, but I'll, but this is probably controversial, but I think you could. But I think Bill Murray, yes, in this version, he lends so much to it. But I think the actual writing is so sharp in also, and the, just the situation is so, you know, you can make so much of the situation. That's why there's so many other time loop movies, and some of them also quite, quite good. Yeah, and Steve, like you said, there's definitely things we're going to talk about. There's like one or two things that haven't aged super well. But in general, though, it has remained sort of timeless. And I read that Danny Rubin basically told Harold Ramis, like, we shouldn't put anything in this movie that will date it to the 90s. As much as we can, we need to remove references like that. And he was so right. Because like, like, when you go back and watch a movie that everything's like a pop culture reference, it's just not relatable as relatable anymore. There are movies on Netflix that are only like two or three years old that already seem dated because their Netflix is so obsessed with putting little pop culture references in all their jokes. It's just don't do it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So yeah. let's now get into our cast and crew. And the, I'm really excited to talk about Danny Rubin, who is the original writer of the script for Groundhog Day, because I think this movie gets really associated with Harold Ramis and Bill Murray. And I had never heard Danny Rubin really mentioned before. Before writing Groundhog Day, he was living in Chicago and he was writing scripts for industrial films. And then he kind of, I guess, made a list of like 10 film ideas that he was going to write up as spec scripts. And one of them was um, Hear No Evil, which sold and became a film, kind of a thriller film. After that sold, he moved to LA. And Groundhog Day was another one of those like 10 ideas that he put down on a list. So Groundhog Day obviously was successful. He sold it. He worked on it with Ramis. But Rubin's um, IMDb page is a bit thin. He told um, Vulture that he sold a number of screenplays over the years, but they were not made. And he refused to write more conventional Hollywood stories when he was asked to. So Ruben's kind of a guy who kind of refused to sell out, which Zoe, I think you probably admire that quality. I do. Yeah. (laughs) He has one other film on his IMDb page um, besides Hear No Evil and Groundhog Day. 
SFW, which was released in 1994. And then more recently, he's the co-writer of a 2018 web series, Our Own Devices, which is about what happens when Siri and Alexa start talking to each other. And then other than that, like he's, you know, he's sold a lot of screenplays that haven't been made, but he also wrote, of course, the book for the Groundhog Day musical, which I already mentioned. And he wrote an ebook on screenwriting, How to Write Groundhog Day. And then other than that, he's kept busy. He taught screenwriting at Harvard from 2008 to 2013. And he also uh, has a blog, which seems a little bit dead lately, but it's called Blogus Groundhogus. I'll put a link to that in the show notes in case you want to see his deep thoughts on Groundhog Day or his answering fan questions. And mysteriously, he also has one acting credit in the 2003 version of Freaky Friday as a bass player. So I don't remember him being in that movie or there being an older kind of bass player in that movie, but I kind of want to watch it again and try to spot Danny Rubin this time. Anyway, props to Danny Rubin. He was doing some like behind the scenes body swap research for the sequel. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. The Groundhog Groundhog body swap research. (laughs) I don't think Danny Rubin would actually write that though, unless it was like an art (laughs) film and it was like directed by Michelle Gondry or something. I mean, (laughs) The body horror version of it, you know, how a person turns into a groundhog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The more we talk about this, the more this movie exists in my mind, by the way. (laughs) Directed by David Cronenberg. Oh, well, that'd be another take. Yeah. I like the Michelle Gondry version. It's more like pleasant, but yeah. Yeah, more more dreamy and pleasant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Harold Ramis, the co-writer and the director was a writer, director, actor, and producer, but most of his writing credits are as a co-writer. He started his comedy career as a joke editor and reviewer for Playboy, and he went on to join Second City in Chicago, then the National Lampoon Show in New York. And in 1976, he was the head writer and a performer for the Canadian comedy show SCTV. He broke into feature films as a co-writer of National Lampoon's Animal House in 1978, then wrote Meatballs in 1979. His first credit as a writer and director was for Caddyshack in 1980. And other work before Groundhog Day included writing and acting in Stripes, directing National Lampoon's Vacation in 1983, writing and playing Dr. Egon Spengler in Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, and writing Back to School. And then his work after Groundhog Day includes writing and directing Analyze This, Bedazzled in Year One, Plus, he directed four episodes of the American version of The Office, including the episode A Benihana Christmas. He also has 16 producer credits, including one for Groundhog Day, and his other acting work since Groundhog Day includes appearances in As Good As It Gets, Knocked Up, and Year One. And Harold Ramis died in 2014 at age 69. All right, so then Bill Murray, we previously covered Bill Murray's career in our Lost in Translation episode, episode 13. So check out that episode if you want a more in-depth look at Bill Murray. And we have like the show notes tell you when the cast and crew section begins. So you can only listen to that part if you want to. But that said, since that episode, Murray has appeared in 2021's The French Dispatch and Ghostbusters Afterlife, as well as a TV miniseries called The Now. And coming up, he has projects in post-production, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, and a role in the MCU movie Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I hope it has something to do with him being Phil Connors, because that would be amazing. But <laughs> given, <laughs> given that it's a kind of like a multiverse quantum physics kind of situation. 
And he's also in pre-production on the project's Bums Rush and announced to appear in Being Mortal. So Andy McDowell, um, she actually grew up, or she was born anyway, about half an hour from where I grew up. And I just, I love seeing an actor with a Southern accent where it's just like, it's not part of their like hokey down home shtick. It's like she just has an accent. That's who she is. I just, that's so refreshing to me because that's how some people talk in this country, you know? Yeah. Um, But she began her career as a model, including work for Vogue, Yves Saint Laurent, and Calvin Klein. Her first film role was playing Jane in 1984's Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. She followed that up with a supporting role in St. Elmo's Fire, but her breakout role was in Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape in 1989. Other movies before Groundhog Day included Green Card and Hudson Hawk. Her roles after Groundhog Day included Shortcuts, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Multiplicity, The End of Violence, the horror movie Ready or Not, and many smaller independent movies. She also starred in the Hallmark TV series Cedar Cove from 2013 to 2015 and a variety of TV movies, including playing the mom in The Beach House and the gay Christmas rom-com Dashing in December. Recently, she appeared in the 2021 miniseries Made along with her daughter, actress Margaret Qualley, and the Netflix movie Along for the Ride. And coming up, she has three movies in post-production, The Other Zoe, Besides me, of course. Uh, Red Right Hand and My Happy Ending. And she's in pre-production on a new Hallmark TV series, The Way Home. Other actors in the movie include Chris Elliott as Larry the Cameraman, Stephen Tobolowski as Ned Ryerson. And this is interesting. I did not realize this. One of Bill Murray's older brothers, Brian Doyle Murray, plays Buster, one of the town's Groundhog Day officials. Did you guys know that that was his brother? I did, yeah. Um, okay, he's appeared, cool. He's appeared in a couple of his films um, in kind of small parts. He plays his um, he plays his dad in Scrooge when he has a when he goes back to kind of Christmas past. I'm sure he's been a couple of others. He was in not a Bill Murray film, but he was in I think he was in the first Wayne's World or the second Wayne's World, I think as well. But yeah, no, I did know that was that was his brother. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't know. I, I when I put it together, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see the resemblance. But yeah, that's awesome. So before the time loop in Groundhog Day, we have a pretty standard setup that almost didn't happen, didn't happen in Danny Rubin's original script. We are introduced to the basic scenario and characters of this movie. We have Bill Murray playing Phil Connors, a sort of comic weatherman who's just kind of a jerk off screen. We have Rita, Andy McDowell's character, as a kind and kind of enthusiastic producer. And we have Larry the Cameraman, played by Chris Elliott. Also at the beginning of the movie, just worth noting, Willie Garson, who played Stanford mm-hmm. in Sex and the City, shows up in this first scene. He passed away recently, so yeah. like, but it was cool to see him in this movie. And the basic setup of the movie is that Phil is going to be going to Punxsutawney to cover the Groundhog Day Festival for the fourth year in a row. And he is not super happy about it. He feels it's beneath him. And at the same time, you're sort of introduced to the idea that Phil might be interested in Rita He's kind of hitting on her, but like, honestly, from a 2022 perspective, he's, well, even from a 1990s perspective, he's kind of sexually harassing her at the same time. And yeah, and then we're also introduced when they get there to the quaint small town of Punxsutawney. So yeah, anybody want to say anything about the very opening? Apparently the song... Um, I'll be your weatherman was um, oh was written was part written by Harold Ramis. I've, I found out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very nineties. I thought I quite enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, I, you know, it's very, I very, that, 
made it into the musical. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. But again, I, I think it sets, I think the opening of it is really good. It's it's very, when I rewatched it again, I was kind of like, wow, it really kicks into the, the time loop quite quickly. So they, they, I think they pack a lot into that, that first 10 minutes or so, I think. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, I think it's good. Yeah. Harold Ramis really under, what he added to it was like a really deep understanding of like how conventional three act structure movies are made, which, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you want your movie to be successful, most of the time you need to have some of that in your movie, not all of the time, but most of the time you need to kind of pack some of that in. So one thing that I found super interesting, I'm like really interested in this because this is close to me, my house. Punxsutawney in the movie is not actually in Pennsylvania and it's not in Hollywood either. Punxsutawney in the movie, the location they filmed in was actually in Woodstock, Illinois, which is like so close to my hometown and still close to me now. And I'm, I really want to visit it now because it's not just like I could see the town where Groundhog Day is filmed. Woodstock, Illinois now has an actual Groundhog Days celebration. So not just one day, a several day celebration. And so, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I, first, I want to mention that they chose Woodstock, Illinois, because not because of its nice weather, certainly, because it was like cold the entire shoot, but because Punxsutawney itself doesn't have like really a town center their groundhog day takes place outside of town but woodstock illinois has this like charming town center that was big Mm. enough for them to set up this like kind of groundhog pavilion Mm -hmm. so woodstock illinois now though has something called groundhog days and they have a groundhog day prediction ceremony featuring woodstock willie but they've also got so much more. Yeah, with it. Yeah. There's a lot of different groundhogs in the United States with charming names. <laughs> the 2023 festival is set to run from Wednesday, February 1st through Sunday, February 5th. And, and these are just like some of the events you can go to. Okay. We've got Groundhog Day trivia, a Groundhog Day dinner dance, which is set in the same place where the bachelor auction is set in the movie. Groundhog Day walking tours of the filming sites. A drink to world peace in the bar where Phil and Rita drink in the movie. And they have screenings of the movies, of course. So like, I'm, I'm going to go like, I think, yeah, yeah I think I say, if you don't go, that'd be very disappointing. Yeah. I think Lee and I need to go to the Groundhog Days Festival and enjoy some of these activities. <laughs> I completely agree that you need to do that. And put that on your Groundhogist blogist of your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it on the blog part of every rom-com podcast and blog which has been very lonely for blog entries lately so yeah and one other thing if you go to woodstock illinois and you're not there during the festival you can still see a plaque that the town put up in the place where phil steps into the deep puddle in the movie and it says bill murray stepped here so (laughs) yeah but this is yeah i had no idea that this like i had no idea it was like filmed so near to where i grew up and i had no idea that i could have been going to this groundhog days festival so many years i, lo- I love to hear that kind of thing like you know the kind of somewhere you know film that's kind of or something that's filmed in a place like that and they just embrace it so much you know and become so part of it um like you know like new zealand for all the places in new zealand where the lord of the rings films were were filmed and they kind of make a whole tour of it now and everything and it's such a big world it's um i think that's that's amazing you know yeah, yeah. And I, I like I like visiting places that represent movies that meant a lot to me. Like we went to the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa, actually, when I was growing up too. So Oh great. Cool. So Bill Murray's character wakes up on Groundhog Day when his alarm clock turns to six AM and I Got You Babe from Sunny and Cher plays on the radio. 
Yeah, and Sonny and Cher, the I Got You Babe song, it was in the original spec script. So this is the song that Danny Rubin envisioned being in the script. Because, like, I feel like Danny Rubin was trying to think of, like, the song that would play in hell or something. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sonny and Cher. So then there's some radio DJ banter. They're predicting a blizzard, which Phil has already said would miss the area. Then there's this series of regular events, which end up becoming, like, the time loop landmarks. So Phil goes out into the hallway and has a conversation with a guy who starts off, you have to see the groundhog. Then he runs into Mrs. Lancaster, the innkeeper, who's never heard of espresso or cappuccino and is like trying to make this small talk with him. And when he leaves, he's like, chance of departure today, 100%. He's ready to get out of there. Yeah. Then he walks, walks down the sidewalk where he encounters a homeless panhandler. And then Ned Ryerson of the amazing coat, uh, <laughs> played by Stephen Tobolowski and the puddle. Stephen Tobolowski, like he's like the landmark of landmarks because he's the one that not only like Phil has the biggest interaction with, like in the most f- hilarious changes to their dialogue. He's just like a lot of what most people remember about this movie. I feel like he almost steals the show in some ways. Yeah. He's just like the ultimate annoying guy that like you could imagine meeting like this guy from your past who's like, do you remember me? Do you remember me from high school? And also trying to sell you insurance at the same time. And Stephen Tobolowski just kills it. I can't even imitate him. Maybe you can imitate him, Steve. You said you could. Well, I um, I just wanted to say, first of all, that I love I always love hearing about kind of actors playing smaller parts in films and just trying to make the absolute best out of what they've got um even when it's like quite a small part and obviously that takes uh you know the the the, far, the star of the film and the director of the film to be right behind them and support them in what they do and i saw i did see a bit of an interview on youtube with Stephen tobolowski and he just said that when he went into audition he said to harold ramus he's like look i'm kind of going to go a bit far out on this sort of been practicing it and this is the idea of guy just started coming out with all these noises like bang all that kind of thing and uh yeah so i just love it when that kind of thing happens but uh but yeah Stephen tobolowski i just oh just i think um he's um ned is absolutely amazing and that line oh ho, ho, watch out for that first step it's a doozy um something <laughs> around like that <laughs> yeah no that's pretty good yeah that's like he says that when um phil steps right into a puddle trying to run away from ned yeah <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, this is like the thing people remember about Groundhog Day, if they remember one thing. I think it's his interactions with Ned. That The stepping into the puddle, it's a doozy line, is is something that it's just like I've remembered very vividly since I saw it as a kid, for sure. Yeah, and Stephen Tobolowski, like, really, like, I feel like he's always talking about this film, and he has so so many insights about the movie. He's such a fan of it, you can tell. So mm. it's it's nice. It's nice to see. And then we move on from his interaction with Ned to he finally gets to the Groundhog Day Festival, and the Pennsylvania polka is playing in the background, which uh, Harold Ramis said got pretty old after a while listening to that. And yeah, I don't know the other words, do you? Nope. The Pennsylvania polka. Yeah, no, terrible. Anyway, I mean, it's fine one time or a few times, but if you had to listen to that as an extra all day, I can not even imagine. 
So he arrives at the Groundhog Day Festival where Rita and Larry are waiting for him to tape the segment. And then he tapes the segment with the groundhog. And it's pretty standard, like weatherman repartee. And I think the second part where he's wrapping it up, he's kind of sarcastic. And then before we get to the rest of the movie, I just thought like it would be good to put in some information about Groundhog Day. How much did you guys know about Groundhog Day really before seeing this film or looking at the notes that we have here today? Like when I was a kid, this movie probably was what introduced me to Groundhog Day. But in turn, like the Imbolc and Candlemas is a holiday that I celebrate. So I knew all that stuff. And then like this is really an American holiday. Do people celebrate Groundhog Day anywhere in England? Yeah, I did actually try finding out if we actually have groundhogs here in the UK. I don't know if we do. We have um, have beavers and squirrels and things like that. I'm pretty sure we don't have groundhogs. Yeah, that's right. Groundhogs Um, are only in North America. I did that research. That's right. Okay, so you couldn't have Groundhog Day. You could have these other holidays I'm about to talk about. But yeah, this movie, though, seemed to translate to other countries anyway. Was it even weird to think about this festival or like when you saw the movie or? Not not really. Um, I think... England, we all have our kind of weird little things uh, that, you know, kind of festivals and things that we celebrate. You know, there's a place called uh, Cheddar Gorge over here, which on they roll wheels of cheese down uh, down a bank. And uh, whoever, you know, whoever gets down there the fastest is the winner and stuff. That's like a, something that people, you know, make cheese for and stuff to, to do that specifically. I think it happens on New Year's Day or something. Um, wow. So, yeah, we all have the <laughs> we all have these kind of weird things that we uh, we celebrate. So. Um, so, no, it was. Wait, you wait, know, wait. Do they win yeah. the cheese? <laughs> Is that what they win? I I just thought of that. That was just an example I thought of. I don't know exactly what they win and things like that, but the it's that's something that they do on a specific day of the year. They roll cheese down the down <laughs> the hill. That's so seriously. I'll, I'll find out some more details and send it through to you. <laughs> that seriously sounds like a holiday sh- they should have in Wisconsin, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That's so amazing. yeah, I think we, we've all got these kind of strange strange things that we celebrate in strange ways. So for Groundhog Day, like just some background information, the first official Groundhog Day festival took place February 2nd, 1887 in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. But as Zoe sort of was getting at, the origins of it are that February 2nd is around halfway between winter solstice and spring equinox. So Groundhog Day probably originated as the pagan festival in bulk, which is celebrated the first through the second. And the word in bulk comes from the Gaelic in milk. It's supposed to be like the day when goats or sheep would give their first milk traditionally. And then with the advent of Christianity, it became Candlemas, like, or the Christians kind of redirected people to celebrate Candlemas, which is the presentation of Jesus at the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. And then a belief evolved that a sunny Candlemas meant another 40 days of snow and cold. And then the Germans specified that small animals must see their own shadows So when the German immigrants came to Pennsylvania, they then chose the groundhog as like the representative animal that would like see their shadows. And the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club has been in charge of the festival all these years. And this is weird. Those who preside over the festivities are called the inner circle. (laughs) Like, isn't that a bit culty? I don't (laughs) Very, very special handshakes and all sorts. Yeah, I'm kind of into it. I want to know what their groundhog handshake is. And they like all wear top hats. They have like a specific outfit they're supposed to wear. And yeah, it's like a whole thing. So yeah, this it's- are the are the like the top hats and outfits in the film? Are those like accurate? 
I think so. I did not look, I did not actually double check that, but apparently Harold Ramis said that Punxsutawney sent representatives to the filming site to make sure that they were getting things correct. Okay. Yeah. So they sent the inner circle to like supervise this. I I believe so. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe the inner circle was too busy. So they sent some outer circle people. I don't know. Who can say? (laughs) Intermediary circle. perhaps. Yeah, I'm not sure about the whole. The, the I didn't look that deeply into it, but I but I was just intrigued by that name. And then um, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, and Stephen Tobolowsky have all served since the movie came out as honorary grand marshals at the festival in Punxsutawney. So that's pretty cool. That's cool. And Punxsutawney's festival is held in a clearing in a wooded area called Gobbler's Knob, which is just outside of the town. Which, as we mentioned, is why the movie got shot in Woodstock. Um, you can see the groundhog. Uh, at the Groundhog Festival in Punxsutawney, but there may be other opportunities to see Phil during the year. As of the recording of this episode, there was a summer event listed on their website called Sundays with Phil held at the Cobbler's Knob Visitor Center. So check out groundhog.org for current information on seeing Punxsutawney Phil. Does it pass down the line and stuff? Like, has there been like a lot of Phil's? Does it like Phil and then Phil has a kid and then goes to that one and then, you know... They drink um, this. I, I read something. Okay. And I'm, I don't have like a hundred percent certainty on this, but I read something that said there was an elixir of life toast that they drink at the Groundhog Day Festival now. And if oh there's God. this fiction that Punxsutawney Phil is just the same groundhog, obviously oh not. Oh. But I mean, if, if it needed to sound cultier, like <laughs> let's drink an elixir of life, <laughs> the inner circle will. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. They've got a whole mythology going with this groundhog at this point. I think they're just pretending it's the same groundhog is what's going on. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad they didn't put all this detail into the into the film. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should have <laughs> put it in, in the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's nothing. <laughs> but yeah, wow, God. So groundhogs, like as we mentioned, um, are only found in North America. They live in burrows, generally at the edge of wooded areas or in grassy areas. But despite being very cute, Punxsutawney Phil's predictions are not very accurate. So his accuracy has been scored at like around 50% or even as low as 39% accuracy. The Staten Island Zoo, however, claims that their groundhog, Staten Island Chuck, predicts the advent of spring with 85% accuracy. So that's a big claim. But, and this is the most hilarious thing I learned for this entire episode, I have to tell you. There was actually a study published in 2021 in an actual academic journal that assessed the accuracy of 530 groundhog predictions in 33 locations, and they found the predictions were accurate 50% of the time. But this is this is the best part. This is the abstract. So in the abstract for the study, this is part of what I read. Quote, While no singular groundhog predicted the timing of spring with any statistical significance, there were a handful of groundhogs with notable records of both successful and unsuccessful predictions. Essex Ed, Essex, Connecticut, Stonewall Jackson, Wantage, New Jersey, and Chuckles, Manchester, Connecticut, correctly predicted spring onset over 70% of the time. By contrast, Buckeye Chuck, Marion, Ohio, Dunkirk Dave, Dunkirk, New York, and Holland Huckleberry, Holland, Ohio, made incorrect predictions over 70% of the time. I just, I, I'm, I, maybe this Jeez. is only really funny to me, but I think it's hilarious that an academic journal has all these groundhog names in it. 
I feel sorry for Buckeye Chuck as well. I mean, surely he's got a problem with one of his eyes. You know, he might not see his shadow and stuff. You know, he's good, he could have probably got it right. You know, a few more times. Um, so yeah, maybe you should have used used him as as a as one of the study. What I want to know is what count like what counts as spring? Okay, they used study. yeah in the study they used some kind of plant growing in the on the ground okay. I believe like yeah it's a whole thing you can go and read it and find it. yeah I might I'm because- putting that in the show notes too. This is the weird stuff I learned about groundhogs and Groundhog Day, and yeah, you're you're welcome. I think I don't know. <laughs> it was good. It was good to know. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so after this Groundhog Day report, the crew tries to drive home to Pittsburgh, but a blizzard has hit, and Phil's like trying to bargain with this blizzard. Apparently, he thinks he can get past it. Okay, and- this is so funny to me though because I have never heard of like. I mean, Pennsylvania's pretty far north, but even in the south where I grew up, like, no cop would just be like, we're closing the roads because the blizzard is coming. Like, that's so silly. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. I could see it. You don't think they have snowplows in Pennsylvania? Maybe the blizzard's bad enough they don't have enough snowplows. Okay, well, we we can talk about that at the ending because at the the ending scene, we see how bad the blizzard was, and that also cracks me up. Fair enough, fair enough. So when they fail to drive home, Reed and Larry try to invite Phil out to go get dinner, but he refuses. He's kind of a curmudgeon, and he just goes to bed after having a terribly unsatisfying cold shower. So now we get to loop one. It's it's 6 a.m. again. I got you, babe, is on the radio again. At first, Phil just assumes that they're playing yesterday's tape. Then he looks out the window, and he's a little puzzled because there's no blizzard, but he's still kind of just like, well, whatever. And then he gets to the hallway guy and he kind of goes, he gets a little crazy right away. The hallway guy's like, you go off to see the groundhog and, and Phil like shoves him against the wall and like demands to know what's going on. I did notice I felt like Phil caught on to it like super quickly, like maybe more quickly than I would have. Yeah. You know, I I think I would have just been a little more confused for a little longer. <laughs> I agree. I think it's probably to do with economy of filmmaking and trying to get into the plot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he gets down to Mrs. Lancaster and he asks Mrs. Lancaster, do you ever have deja vu? And she says, I don't (laughs) think so, but I can check with the kitchen. (laughs) And then as he's leaving, um, she says, do you think you'll be staying today or another day? And he says, chance of departure, 80%, (laughs) 75-80. Which is interesting because he's already like assuming that he's stuck in this, even though it's the first day, right? Yeah, yeah, I just, it really would throw you for a loop. I get to, no sort of pun intended there. The the deja vu thing, I think it's, you know, obviously everyone gets it, but it's like, what, a split second or something. If you're reliving a whole morning, you're just like, oh, this, this must be deja vu because there's no other way to to explain what's what's happening to me here. So it's, yeah, just you, you wouldn't know, is this going to happen again? And was something wrong with me? So yeah, I think he's just trying to get his head around it as best he can. And then we, we see Ned Ryerson again. He, I think he actually, doesn't he just like kind of test him and like he kind of like predicts what Ned's going to say more or less? Yeah, it's, it's the one with the bings. There's more bings in this one because he yeah. said, he's like, yeah, says his name and yeah. he works insurance and stuff. Yeah, so. And then we get to the report. Phil does his like little report and he's like, well, it's Groundhog Day again. <laughs> and I love that particular thing has been memed so much. Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it said like, well, it's quarantine day again. I do feel like 2020 time got broken and maybe we're not in a in a repeating loop, but I still don't feel like I have 
the correct sense of time. Yeah. And I think that was when it changed for me. It's just things have just are just off kilter since then. I actually I really agree. Like everything feels like it's taking longer or shorter, mostly longer. It's it's weird. Like I, I referred to something as back in the day on one of our last episodes that was three years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was back in the day. Yeah. yeah. I know what you mean it does feel like that kind of just that portion of life has just kind of been pulled out, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Out of everybody's timeline. It's kind of like it was just held there for, you know, a year or whatever. Yeah, this movie's kind of become very resonant for our current moment, mm. I feel like. So Phil, while he's doing the report um, for Groundhog Day, becomes increasingly unsettled and he doesn't end up doing the end report and he just kind of drops the mic and leaves. And then we see him, we catch up with him at the end of his night where he breaks a pencil and sets it on the clock and he's kind of doing a test, which is quite clever. And so we wake up loop two, pencil is intact. Phil is really freaked out. And this time he rushes past every one of his little time markers to talk to Rita and doesn't do the report. And they're at the tip top cafe and he goes to Rita. I'm reliving the same day over and over. So I was thinking about this. Like he obviously Phil does not have enough credit with anyone to be believed telling them this. Do you guys think there's anyone in your life that if you told them you're reliving the same day over and over, they would believe you? I want to say yes. I feel, you know, I feel like I'm a trustworthy person and I can think of a few people that I would go to with this who would at least, you know, listen to me, but it's, that's a hard one to imagine, you know? Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I can't, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who I think would believe it. I've got a couple of friends who are quite open-minded about things, so maybe, but yeah, it would be a, it'd be a hard sell, I think, to try and explain it and yeah, just yeah. Get someone to believe you. <laughs> yeah, I think my brother, my brother's quite into new age mystical stuff. So I'm pretty sure he would believe me. But even Lee, like I kind of posed this question to him and he's like, well, I think I might try to see if you could get like some help from like a psychologist first or something They're like, well, okay, fair enough. Mm. <laughs> like, like he trusts me, but like at the same time, this is just like such a huge idea to wrap around. You know what I'm saying? Mm hmm. And like, sure enough, um, Phil does end up getting sent to first to see a neurologist played by Harold Ramis and then to see a psychiatrist. And I love the psychiatrist interaction. <laughs> the guy, first of all, he can't deal with him because he, you know, he hasn't got any sort of more complex patients. But then when he's like, we should meet again, how's tomorrow for you? <laughs> the worry just starts punching, just punching the pillow on his face. Yes. <laughs> The amazing thing is that he got both of those appointments within a day. Like, yeah. holy moly. What kind of this, healthcare system does Punxsutawney have? It's impressive. Surely that must be a holiday day as well. Surely no, they wouldn't be working. Mm, no, people would still work on Groundhog Day probably. You might ask for it off yeah. special if you wanted oh, to attend okay. it. But yeah, Americans I, are very yeah. stingy with our holidays. Very stingy. Of course you are. Yes, yes. <laughs> Only the inner circle would probably even bother asking. <laughs> It's oh, not really man. a take the day off holiday in my in my mind. Then I love this this interaction. So he goes out with these guys who he called morons earlier in the day mm-hmm. to a to the bowling alley. And he's reminiscing about a day he had in the Virgin Islands where he met a girl and had sex and said, Why couldn't I get that day? And then this line, this is the most point for me, this is my favorite thing in the whole movie. Phil goes to the guys, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? And then this guy is playing one of these like kind of local dudes. He's like, that about sums it up for me. 
And it's just if you if you, mm. the look on that actor's face is so perfect, it's just like telling you this guy's whole life story. Did you guys notice him this time? He really stuck out to me. Yeah, I think so. He was um, he he played that. First of all, I think that the two actors definitely play playing uh, being drunk really well. Um, but yeah, no, he he delivers that line just in the in the perfect. It's got that exact tone of yep kind of you know just that that's how it is a little bit of kind of self-pity and yeah he just delivers it in exactly delivers it in exactly the right way i think it's like it's so poignant to me and i think it's what like makes groundhog day meaningful for so many people too is that Mm -hmm. we've all at one time i think in our lives felt stuck somewhere in a situation Mm -hmm. or a problem or it could be a place or a job and so it's like you can identify with the situation even if you haven't lived it Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. So that, then he takes these um, two guys from the bowling alley and he drives their car because they are drunk. But he kind of abruptly decides he's going to break the rules. He runs over a mailbox. He drives onto the train tracks and he does not. They don't get killed. Thank goodness. But he ends up in jail. Like, I feel like he really like Zoe, like you said, he catches on very quick. And I also feel like he like goes crazy really quick, too. He just like yeah. starts acting erra- like erratically very quickly. Unless this is supposed to be more loops. No, this is definitely loop two. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it like, is it definitely loop two? Because um, yeah, that- he broke the pencil the night before and then the pencil's intact. And that was loop one where he broke the pencil. So I think it's heavily implied to be loop two for sure. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that it might, maybe it doesn't have to be though. Like, oh, okay. You know? I guess he could have transferred to the bowling alley a different day. You're right. You're right. Right. You know, okay. I, I, that, that is what I was thinking when I was watching it is that maybe, maybe there had been some more loops. Yeah. Um, you're right. You're right. It's yeah. certainly possible in my mind. Yeah, I think so too. And I, to be honest with you, if it was loop two, I mean, the, the character, you know, doesn't really give a shit about anything <laughs> anyway. He might yeah. be that kind of personality that, he could that could be his initial that's his initial reaction his initial jump is to do that he seems to he's thinking it over quite a lot you know the guys who were quite drunk he doesn't really look like he's drunk anything um and he's really thinking about it and and it's just like a bing moment in the word of uh, ned <laughs> um where it just kind of hits him and he's like i can do absolutely anything i want to and it doesn't it doesn't matter at all so um yeah i i, I didn't see it as too much of a leap for him in, in the personality that phil connors has that's a good point too. Yeah, two yeah. date, two having it happen twice though just seems like not enough for me to be convinced that this is my permanent mm. state yet. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What would it take for you? Do you think? Like a couple of weeks. Okay, I'm gonna guess. <laughs> I think it would be a very long time before I would consider risking anyone's life. I think that's like for me, like certain things, sure, but like risking someone's life by driving on train tracks, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that once once I was convinced I was stuck, stuck, that, yeah. that doesn't mean I would immediately jump to, to that kind of action either. Yeah. And I was going to mention this later in the episode, but like right here, I'll put why, because like, even if like I was in a time loop and my consequences didn't happen, part of me would be like, well, is this like a multiverse? Like, am I going to like ruin these people's lives? Like if I do, you know what I mean? Like, am I going to mm-hmm. leave some poor schmuck like you know in jail or something or dead like i don't know yeah and we can we can talk more about what we think about that later but okay so one thing i did want to ask you guys though so phil talks about wishing he could be stuck in a different day so i thought about i had to think about this so much but what day do you think you would choose if you had to be stuck in a time loop and why this is so i i never want to answer your questions jen you always give me these hard questions (laughs) 
I think if you picked a really good day, it would ruin it. Like mm. you would, you would sap all the joy out of it. So like, and but you wouldn't want to pick a terrible day, to ha- or or maybe you would, so that you could fix it. I don't know. Like, I would not pick a favorite memory day though, because I would that to me would just ruin it. It sounds like being trapped in hell. I think I would just pick like just a regular day. I I wouldn't pick like a best or a worst day. And where where would you be? Like what place? Oh, well, probably like my life. I would just pick my life now. Okay. Okay. I I, li- I like my life now and it's, you know. I like it. All right. All right. Steve, do you have any? I would want to be with my kids and family. You know, I, I yeah. wouldn't want to like be in any other part of my life. I would want my kids and family around and my friends. You know, I, I like all the people around me now. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, great. So that would at least make these make these hellacious endless days like <laughs> maybe I could get some new conversations out of them each day. So that would be good. <laughs> for me, for me, this is quite an easy answer for me. Actually, I, I had two days, um, which which are really good days, but just could have been better and, and kind of more perfect for the situation. So one was the day that um, I proposed to my wife because. It was the the setting was perfect. We were in a really lovely place. The day was this weather was beautiful. The the time at which um, I kind of semi planned to propose to her, everything was perfect. We we're in this really nice park. We had a cathedral right behind us. It was like five o'clock. The bells were going off. These little cute little ducks came up. It was just us two, and it was just the perfect moment. Uh, and then my just my nerves kicked in. I had this little thing in my head that I wanted to say. And it just came out like just gibberish mumbling. Uh, and then the ring was not the right size. And I'd asked the the hotel we were staying at to put kind of rose petals on the bed and leave a bottle of champagne. And they, they just didn't really do it properly. And it, it just, it wasn't just, because yeah, everything else about the day was perfect, but a couple of things that I could control just didn't go to plan. So that was a day I would just like to relive, maybe just the once, just to correct those couple of things. And the other day would be the day we found out that Elaine was pregnant with Henry our, our oldest because on that day I found out found out she was pregnant with our first child and then I went to watch the Pixies um at a, at a concert um in the evening I mean that's just a good day all around like you know for those things to happen but the middle part of it I <laughs> it was the first job I ever had where I was the manager of people so I had to and I was but I was on the day off but I had to go in to do these um appraisals and what I should have done was not done that <laughs> taken Elaine away from work for a few hours to go out for a nice lunch and and then you know kind of celebrate and and all those kind of things so you want to relive those so that you can like make them a little bit better which just yeah yeah that is interesting and and nice but like what if you had to do it 300 times in a row like <laughs> well this is the thing i think just as, your yeah. excitement like would it still be a good day on the 300th time you just know as you were, just as you were talking about it then i think when i read this question i don't know why because obviously we were talking about groundhog day i was thinking more of doing them once like a like a do over uh, like a do over yeah, yeah. i think okay. i was more thinking about it in that way just correct those couple of little things but yeah any other day i don't yeah you know uh, I haven't had a day where I kind of, you know, was on the beach at oysters and made love like sea otters with somebody. So um, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't got one of those days in my locker. So um, yeah, those were the ones that kind of came to my came to my head. I wouldn't mind reliving those days three hundred, you know, three hundred times over, seeing the pixies that many times, and yeah. finding out, you, you know, 
on any and you could uh, and you could kind of stuff. like that's what kills me is it wouldn't be a surprise anymore at the 300th time like what if you got bored you know like what well, if you, you could, turn this beautiful day memory into like this oh my god i have to do this again i have you to could, like pretend to be but, surprised like that sounds horrible to me <laughs> you could make new choices though for different things yeah. and you could make like different wedding proposals and like you could do all kinds of exciting things like yeah I feel like you could still so yeah I'm gonna but I'm gonna bust in now and I'm gonna tell you my thought process because like when I first started this I was I, at first I was like well I'd go to Paris but then I started thinking if I were like on my trip to Paris with Lee it was one of my best times I ever had right but it was just Lee and I and I was thinking like I love Lee and I would love spending time with him. And of course I could meet random Parisians too, but like I wanted more, you know, people I cared about around me. So then I was trying to game it where I could have a day with Lee and my brother and me at least. The most recent one I could think of for that was when my brother was visiting us in Lake Geneva. And I was like, well, I'd have my brother, I'd have Lee, I'd have my dad. I could visit some of my old friends from Lake Geneva. We'd have a lake, a beautiful day. And that seemed really good. But then I was thinking about like, my podcast didn't exist then. Like there were friends that like Zoe, I hadn't caught up with you in a while. And all the other friends from the podcast, there's new friends I've made since being on the podcast, having the podcast. And I'm like, I don't want any of those people like not in my life. I think I started thinking about like what you were thinking, Zoe, like you like the people in your life, right? And so I started, I, I came to the realization that I would probably just pick a day from this exact summer when I started working at the library. So I knew my library people. I have my friends here. I don't have my brother around, which sucks, but I could at least FaceTime him or something. And, you know, there's so much to do in Madison. There are plenty of books to read. Like there's places we can drive from around here. We could have a million different adventures. Like I feel like I could find a way to make the most of it, you know, between reading books, learning skills, like getting to know different people better. It might be hard to convince those people like, hey, listen, I need to hang out with you today. Right. (laughs) But maybe, but maybe I could make it happen if I figured it out and I could learn so much about lots of different people and like have all these different experiences within my own area. And when I thought about it that way, it kind of made me happy because I realized, A, I like a lot of the people I know now and I I like my surroundings and it made me open up to kind of like what the potential is in my life right now. You know what I mean? Like there's no need for me to be bored. Like if I just thought about it, like what new thing could I do today? What new mm-hmm. experience could I have? It, it really opens up to you, like the possibilities of your own life, I feel. And I think Groundhog Day does that too, when you start to see Phil doing more things like learning skills and stuff. The, pr- the problem, okay, so like the skills learning part, that would be really handy and useful, right? The problem that I see with this is like, okay, I can definitely think I would pick a day where like, I knew all my friends were free, you know, right? And like, uh-huh. I could hang out with them, go on adventures. But it wouldn't be a shared memory. It wouldn't be like a reciprocal relationship building. And that is so sad to me. Like, mm-hmm. it really is sad to me that Phil, like, learns all these things about Rita. And like, he, it's just, it's not a relationship. Like, he has all of this, but she doesn't. And it's like, it's a real bummer to me. It really bothers me a lot. Yeah. I I like the idea of all these adventures and fun things, and I can definitely imagine tons of opportunities, but they would just be stuck in me. They wouldn't be something shared. And so that takes a little bit of the like excitement out of it. And that's what turns it into kind of like a hell scape. 
Yeah, and um, we'll we'll kind of deal with how Phil starts to turn that around later when we probably in the spoiler section we'll talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, that's 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 true. That is the the problem with it all. Yeah. So now we come to loop three and beyond, or maybe loop three. It could be more. Um, I feel like it's pretty clear until loop three, like what the timeline is. But Zoe pointed out that we don't know for sure. And mm-hmm. after loop three, it becomes really unclear how many times Phil has looped. So, and, and we'll talk about what we think our theories about how many times total later in the episode. But in loop three or so, he starts doing whatever he wants. Like he goes downstairs, he kisses the Mrs. Lancaster, the B and B owner. He punches Ned Ryerson, and then he misses the puddle. And this is kind of a a, a marker where he's just decided he's his own man. He, he realizes he's not going to end up in jail. He's not going to end up. Well, I don't think he's really experimented with being dead yet, but he's not going to end up in jail at least. He's not going to suffer any consequences. And this brings us to one of my favorite scenes, the diner scene where he's eating absolutely everything. Do you guys get hungry watching that? I get so hungry when I watch that scene. Yes, I, I yep. was I was already hungry when I watched it. And then I was just like, oh, man, that cake that he just crammed in his mouth and just would savor that. <laughs> I was amazed by that. This this last time I watched it, I was like, is it really that big? Because I remember that's what he did. And I was like, is it that big? It looks huge. I was like, I surely you can do that. But um, that is probably if I know myself well enough, that is probably what I would jump to as first, first <laughs> as the kind of, I could do anything I wanted the overeating thing. That's, that's certainly, yeah, where my, where I think I would go. Yeah. Apparently he did not have a spit bucket for that scene either. Like he was actually eating all the food Oh my god! and he was oh. and digesting it when he's, when they shot that. That's amazing. That just, that sounds Bill Murray to me. I don't know why. And then in the, in the scene, he's also smoking and he's also drinking the coffee right out of the pot. Like, it's just like diner decadence. It just made me want to like run to a diner and eat all the things. I think I, I would try like every drug. Really? In my time loop. Sure. Yeah. Huh. That's not a desire I have, but okay. Okay. <laughs> There's just a few that I haven't tried that like I, I will, I won't in this lifetime. But if I was in a time loop with no consequences, it would be an interesting experience. I guess you have a point. I just feel like I wouldn't have good experiences. Like, that's my assumption anyway. So I'm just going to like, eh, I don't need it. Well, then you get a do-over. Like, you know, you don't ever have to do it again. Yeah. I just don't like dealing with pain and sadness in the first place. (laughs) That's like, that's what I assume would happen to me. the point of drugs is is to not make you feel those things, Jen. Yeah, I've just seen, I've seen people in places. Just put put it that way. That's all. (laughs) Sorry, just one really quick thing. I mentioned to someone I know the other day that I was that I was doing this episode and was doing it about um, Groundhog Day, and they said to me, "Oh, my story about Groundhog Day is me and my best friend when we were eighteen dropped acid and then watched Groundhog Day three <laughs> times in a row." <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> On a loop themselves. I was like, "Wow, God, that must have been interesting." Said, yeah, yeah, some weird stuff came out. Uh, but yeah, that was that was her story about it. <laughs> nice. Maybe I would do that on one of my days. There, it sounds like you would. Yeah. Wow, that's very meta. so and then like while phil is indulging himself rita's sitting next to him and and recites poetry to him zoe would you like to recite it well since you've invited me to sure yeah the wretch concentered all in self living shall forfeit fair renown and doubly dying shall go down to the vile dust from whence he sprung unwept unhonored and unsung I, I found out this poem is from Sir Walter Scott. Well, she says it's from Sir Walter Scott, but it's called, it's from the sixth canto of the Lay of the Last Minstrel from 1805. 
also in the show notes. I did not try to read the entire poem. Has anybody else read this poem ever? Nope. No. Yeah, I'm not. She. We find out later that Rita is a huge fan of, of specifically French poetry, but I guess literature in general. But it's pretty cool um, little little recitation about your ego, ego getting in the way of you living a good life. And when and if you have this ego, nobody's going to care that you've died. Nobody's going to care about your existence, basically. But Phil is not terribly impressed by this at this point. He decides he's going to stay in Punxsutawney. He lets Rita and Larry go off in the van. And he goes up to talk to a woman in a pink sweater who turns out to be named Nancy. And he gets information with which to pick her up later. So I've seen this kind of technique, too, used in future time loop movies. But he finds out basically like where she went to school, who her teacher was. So he can then the next day pretend to be her old friend. He can pull in, pull in Ned Ryerson on her. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe Ned Ryerson was also in a time loop and he made up all this information. <laughs> no, it's just I actually had that thought when he was picking up Nancy. I was like, whoa, what does this mean about Ned? <laughs> I never thought about it that way. Yeah, no, maybe. Because I mean, Phil doesn't remember things about Ned that he should, like telling him not to date his sister. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like he should remember that. So Ned could be in a time loop, but in his time loop, his only goal is to be friends with Phil and sell him insurance. But I, but I don't think I, I don't think Phil would respond to Ned the way that Nancy responded to Phil when he asked the initial questions. I think if yeah. Ned Phil gets approached by Ned and says, "What school did you go to? Um, uh, you know, what what uh, talent did somebody have about the belly button stuff?" Um, I would just, I think he would just, yeah, tell him to. To get lost, I think, um, I, to get that information. Lots of days in which to figure out the best way to get the information, though. That's how long Ned has been stuck. Oh, man. I love the way Bill Murray plays it as well, just when he first, Nancy, Nancy Taylor. Oh, my God. Just, um, yeah, replays it as, as well as he can that she's someone he used to know. Yeah, yeah. And this, like, so, like, when I first saw this movie when I was younger, it just seemed, like, funny and, like, whatever, like, you know, clever. And now it's, like, vaguely creepy to think about mm. it. I don't yeah. know. It's weird. It's, like, I, I feel like it's human nature to, like, you know, to want to, you know, connect with people. And certainly if you're stuck in a time loop, you want to connect with people. And even if Phil is connecting on a very shallow level with Nancy, I still understand that urge, you know? But but it is a little creepy to think that like he's using you know this information. I mean he's not coercing her per se. How is it different? Se. How is it different with Nancy than with Rita? Like because he doesn't actually know Nancy and he's lying to her. That's like the only real difference. I mean I think it's different in the way that he evolves over time with Rita is the only thing I would say. Well, we'll we can talk about that later. And also mm, the fact that like Phil doesn't really have any interest in Nancy other than like probably sexual because even when they're like making out with her later, he says, "Oh, Rita," while they're making out. Like he clearly has some kind of feeling for Rita that goes beyond just like a sexual feeling. But with Nancy, it's just like, you know, he wants sex. And then when that's not wrong. That's not wrong, but that but he's lying to her about what his intentions are too. Because then, I guess that's true. He like, does. He does yeah. like ask her to marry him. Yeah, <laughs> knowing that he's not going to have to follow through on this at all. Right. But like, what? This takes a special woman though to have somebody like ask you to marry them the first day that you meet them and be like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, she takes it as very romantic. Nancy can make her choices too. <laughs> 
Okay, and then there's just a couple other random things Phil does. He does a heist on an armored truck to get some money, which, you know, sensible. You want some money to spend in your Groundhog Day world. And then there's a weird cowboy outfit scene, like where he goes to the movie with this other girl and he's wearing a cowboy outfit and she's wearing a maid outfit. I, I remember always being confused by that scene when I watched it when I was younger. And then, yeah, kind of as I've got, I just, I'm making an assumption um, that she's a type of escort, I assume, that he's. Yeah hired and he's taken and they're going to a, he's dressed up like um uh clint eastwood obviously and they're going to a film or something but yeah not um, a clint eastwood film which is the puzzling part mm. so i don't i don't think that you wrote anything about this but um the movie that they're going to see is heidi too which is that which even a movie is not a movie yeah no and the, it was originally going to be It's a Wonderful Life, oh. but then they decided, uh-huh. like, for the timelessness, you know, they wanted to turn it into a fake movie because uh, they didn't want to, like, have it have it have this connection to a real film. Yeah. So, yeah, Heidi yes. 2, not a real movie. There is, a, <laughs> there is, like, a Heidi 2 German porn movie. <laughs> <laughs> I found out because I, yeah, because I, I was, like, I noticed Heidi 2 on the movie marquee, like, in the opening scene when they go into Punxsutawney yeah. and I was like, I don't think that's real. So yeah. I looked it up. Well, anyway, yeah, he's definitely wearing like, yeah, like a Clint Eastwood outfit. I think maybe that is just put in there to show like the really weird things you might get up to if you had like yeah. sort of limitless days. So I guess that's a good illustration yeah. of that. Yeah. I also, I also, he pulled up in a really fancy car and it was right after the arm truck heist. So it's mm. like he's spending the money, having fun, buying everything he ever wanted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That you can get in Punxsutawney. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Or its environs. Yeah, and he's kind of caught in the town, too, because of this blizzard. So he's not just... Like, when I was talking about what I where I would want to be stuck, it was Madison on a nice day, so I could get out of town. So that reduces the claustrophobia considerably. But he's stuck in a town. So, so yeah, we, Zoe, we started in on this a little bit with you. <laughs> but what would you do if you were stuck in a time loop on an average day in your current life? Like, what are just a few things you might do? Like, after the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities first. No. Um, yeah, I th- I would definitely read a lot. There's, you know, get through the, the book stacks uh, on many topics. It's great that he can, like, keep that knowledge because, you know. Yeah. The knowledge doesn't disappear, just the, yeah. I would, there's lots of skills and reading that I would knock out. Like I said before, the adventures would be sort of bittersweet because they wouldn't be shared memories but I think I would still do them I guess I would like be hoping that it would end and so like I would yeah. want to make each day like a good one like worth worthy of the ending of it yeah you know? that's nice I like that I would learn to play I would learn to play the fiddle like I want to play like um you know violin but fiddle style that is something oh, yeah, I really nice. want to do but I don't feel like I have enough time to do in my current life and a skill that I could keep I would definitely study my language is more and maybe concentrate on one at a time. Cause I wouldn't feel like I had to do everything at once. And I would have, this is like, this is so typically me, but I would have like really uncomfortably honest conversations with so many different people. <laughs> oh okay. my gosh. Because, yes. because like I'm, I'm the type of person who can already be a little uncomfortably honest, but like sometimes I've learned to be a little more cautious cause it'll go badly. Right. But I would just like, I would just like tell people exactly what I was thinking, mostly positive things, to be honest. I'm more of a positive person, but like, I'm just very intense. And so I'd be like, you know, I really like you. I really want to get to know you better. I would just tell people who I thought maybe they weren't receptive to that, those things, you know, and I would try to learn more about them. 
And like, I would sort of experiment, you know, like kind of like what he's doing, not with the intent to manipulate, but with just the intent to know more about people and the intent to see if they're receptive, you know, to being my friend or being a romantic interest or, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? So like uncomfortable honesty would be like turned up (laughs) basically. I totally feel that. I, and I, I, that is appealing to me too, just to have some of those conversations. Um, but again, like then when it ends, if it ends, you've like had all this time getting to know this person, you've had these uncomfortable conversations. How do you even remember which ones like, you know, like, I don't know. It could be one of those weird situations where if you're like mutual friends with someone and they've like told you a whole lot of stuff about someone yeah. and, and you kind of like know it. And then it's this awkward thing where it's like, I don't want to like share with you how much I know about you. Or like if you've creeped someone online and like found that they overshared on a blog, you know, five years ago. Do you know what I mean? I would just pretend I was psychic. I'd just say, well, I'm a little <laughs> oh, bit psychic. I'd be like, sorry, good. I don't mean to be like freaking you out. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would believe in psychic powers and it would be amazing. Anyway. Okay. I like, I like that take on it. Oh, and I would always, finally, I would also be less afraid. Like right now I'm still have a lot of anxiety around stuff like driving. And I would just get over that gradually by like realizing that like, you know, I could do these things without as much fear. So yeah. Steve, we didn't let you get a word in yet. <laughs> no, God, no, that's fine. No, I, I really enjoyed listening to, to your guys there. I'd piggyback off the last thing you just said there, Jen. And um, yeah, I'd learn to, be a kind of like a master of like Zen or mindfulness or something like that. Just a couple of, a couple of tools that I use a little bit at the moment, but I'd get, I'd kind of try to, um, yeah, maybe look into them more thoroughly so that I can use those when I have my kind of, yeah, anxious moments and, uh, yeah, not feeling quite right moments. Definitely. Um, I think just learning, learning things that are going to have a positive impact going forwards whenever that will happen. So, um, I'd really want to learn to play golf to a, decent standard I, I just really i've got into something i've got into a little bit recently so i'd love to be able to do that i would read all of my son's uh pokemon books and watch as many pokemon <laughs> episodes as i can because he talks to me about it all the time and i just cannot it just will not sink in so i can have some really good conversations with him about that that's cute and um i think i think i'd try to spend a full day with one one at a time my kind of like quite close family members and uh kind of like my parents and close friends and stuff as well um just to kind of maybe you guys know it's like you got so so little free time as you as you kind of you know get older and more responsibilities and stuff it's hard to make quality time with the people that you really want to when you do it's you know if you have kids it's not particularly kind of you know you can't get into too much and there's other things that distract you so i just think a quality day with as many people who would want to, as you mentioned, Jen, um, yeah, would want to kind of hang out and do something and just, you know, just catch up and maybe just kind of re-get to know them a little bit better. Um, so yeah, that's something I'd like to do as, as well. Yeah. I and mean, that's beautiful. I mean, that's the time is a gift part of the movie that yeah. we do see start to come in. Yeah. Phil yeah. realizes what the potentials are too, but mm-hmm. without the benefit of having like close family and friends around, like, which, yeah, we would obviously choose to do. Yeah. Great, great answers. I feel really inspired, actually. This conversation has just made me very inspired about life, even though I don't have a limitless number of days. But there's there's so many beautiful things to do in this life. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, I feel like I should never let myself be bored, and I should remember the things I would do if I were in this time loop. Okay, so let's 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 get into the next part. There, this is here's when Phil is still in kind of a selfish mindset, and he starts pursuing Rita romantically. 
And he starts out kind of similarly to how he did with Nancy, where he just wants to get intelligence on Rita and what, you know, would win her over. So he starts by asking Rita about her perfect guy. And I have a clip of that that I'm going to play right now. So what do you want out of life anyway? (laughs) I guess I want what everybody wants, you know, career, love, marriage, children. Are you seeing anyone? I think this is getting too personal. I don't think I'm ready to share this with you. How about you? What do you want? What I really want is someone like you. (laughs) Oh, please. Well, why not? Uh, What are you looking for? Who is your perfect guy? Well, first of all, he's too humble to know he's perfect. That's me. He's intelligent, supportive, funny. Intelligent, supportive, funny. Me, me, me. He's romantic and courageous. Me also. He's got a good body, but he doesn't have to look in the mirror every two minutes. I have a great body, and sometimes I go months without looking. (sighs) He's kind, sensitive, and gentle. He's not afraid to cry in front of me. This is a man we're talking about, right? He likes animals and children, and he'll change poopy diapers. Does he have to use the word poopy? Oh, and he plays an instrument, and he loves his mother. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is just a little introduction to how he starts, like, trying to find out about Rita. And, like, other things he does is he starts disabling the van so that Rita and Larry can't leave town every day. And then there's the scene where he really starts to game it on a, like, micro level where he learns her favorite drink. And then he learns her favorite toast. He's very dedicated to it. You know, the amount of cuts and, and redo of scenes that they, that they have. He seems more, at first, to me anyway, he just seems more curious about her. He wants to get to know her a lot better. I don't know if it's a case of that. I've read, I've read that some people have said kind of thing like he's like, you know, he treats her like she's the, the best of a bad bunch. She's the best that he could get in this, in this town at this time. But I don't think it is like that. I think he is particularly curious about Rhea. She's very different to anyone he's ever seen before. He mentions earlier in the film, he says something along the lines of, you really are one of the most positive people I've ever met. This is before he kind of goes into his loops. So I think there's already a kind of a a real curiosity in her as much as he can be curious about someone. But then his just determination to find out more about her and then to, and it becomes like a personal challenge for him, doesn't it? It's like, I have to, you know, extend the day with her. I have to get her to come back to my hotel room. So I didn't really see it as like a physical thing for where, where I, that's what he just wanted from Nancy was just to, yeah, just kind of to have sex. It's more of a, he is actually curious about this person and wants to get to know her, but it's from a point of view that it's like a competition with himself to see how, if he can get to the next step with her in the next step. Yeah. I, I read it kind of similarly. I think that he does have a genuine interest in her, like beyond like physical. I think he does have, an inkling of being in love with her even at the beginning, but like Mm. it's something that develops over time because he's met her so many different times that he slowly starts to like see these beautiful things about her. But there Mm. is like, like you said, there's like a challenge to himself aspect, this desire to sort of like, 
I would almost say conquer or like win or something like that, which is probably the part that makes it a little less palatable for maybe a lot of women. I don't know if women are encouraged to like see romantic relationships that way. Well, maybe we are. I don't know. That might exist in everybody to some extent, like wanting to win, wanting to succeed. Yeah. But I think you see it a lot more in movies where men are doing these types of things to try to win women over more than you see women doing like these little manipulations or whatever. I I agree with all that. And just to be clear, like, I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with what he did with Nancy when I compared these two. Like, I don't think that it's wrong. I do think it's kind of how people, I, I mean, it's like maybe an exaggeration and like a little bit, I don't know, grosser of a version to, because we see how he's lying, you know, using this mm-hmm. information and lying. But I do think it's kind of what people do. They learn things about someone that they're, that they want to get in bed or, are more interested on a deeper level in, you know, and they use that information to get closer to them. I think the point is more like, I don't think you can develop a really deep relationship with anyone though. If you're coming at it from this like aspect of like trying to game it, like trying to manipulate, to be the perfect, you know what I'm saying? If it's not something Mm, that's genuinely in you and you're just pretending to be this or that thing. So. Right. Well, I also don't think you can develop a genuine relationship (laughs) with someone in one day. So as I keep saying, (laughs) So let's see. So then there's this part where um, he finds out that Rita likes studied, I think it's 19th century French poetry. And at first he kind of mocks that, but then late, later you see a cut to a scene where he's reciting what is what we think is supposed to be 19th century French poetry, which is actually from a 1957 song by Jacques Brel called La Bourre du Célibataire, which is the dance of the bachelor. She says she studied 19th century French poetry and he comes out with La fille que j'aimera sera comme un bon vin, qui se bonifera un peu chaque matin, which translates roughly to the girl I will love will be like a fine wine, which gets a little better each morning, which is kind of a cool quote, really, given the movie. Very well read as well, Jen. That was fantastic. I don't know. I'm not sure how good my French is anymore, but hopefully... I like both, though, that this quote like really like works to, for the movie, like the, the girl I love will get a little better each morning. But then also that like, of course, Phil's not actually doesn't actually have a 19th century French poem. He's managed to find this Jacques Brel quote instead <laughs> from this like 50s song. I'm wondering what the French uh, what the what access to French you would have in Punxsutawney. Oh, my gosh. You know, it just occurred to me, this is going to sound really stupid, but he did not even have the internet. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. He's relying on, like, the library, bookstores, record stores, maybe an odd French speaker here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pretty cool. So, let's see. So, then we, after this, we have scenes where he's building a snowman with Rita and then playing with kids that show up, like, so he can show that he loves kids, presumably. It gets like really manic at a certain point. Like he's almost like overexcited about meeting mm-hmm. these kids. And like he's really putting on a performance. A couple of things I read, you probably know this as well from researching into it, but part of the Harold Ramis kind of um, and Bill Murray not getting on, he was getting the kids to throw the snowballs as hard as they could at Bill Murray, um, just as, you know, as hard as they could. And the the second time they do it, when he goes really manic and he, and, Andy McDowell's down and she's looking at him more confused and then he falls down next to her. I always thought that he's like, you know, he kind of like he's moving a bit and like he's trying to get closer to her and she kind of backs off a little bit. 
But what he's actually doing is he's trying to find the exact position <laughs> yeah. that he fell down to in the first time. Yeah. When they were just, I think I don't know if they kissed the first time or they were just about to kiss. They had a little moment. Yeah. Um, so he's just squirreling around to try and find, right, is this the right one? Is this, is this, it? Is this where I was last time? <laughs> um, which I never realized. I thought it was just him getting trying to get closer to her and her backing off. But yeah, um, yeah apparently that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, which is kind of showing that you can't, necessarily recreate these moments like exactly yeah Yeah. there's a certain intangible magic that sometimes happens that if you're trying you're gonna miss it which i think is actually kind of the point of the whole thing here like he's trying so hard but there's an intangible magic that happens between people that has to come from a deeper place really and exactly and like you guys said you know he's losing his patience he wants to you know do the next thing that he wants to conquer with with ria and who knows how many times he had been through that at that point, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now we come to, like, I think what ages the least well in the movie, which is, like, an uncomfortable scene for me, anyway, where Phil gets Rita to come to his room after, I think they kiss, and then he gets her to come up to his room, and she is not interested in taking it any farther, but he keeps trying to push himself on her to keep kissing her after she's, like, said no, or let's not spoil it, or, like, kind of even pushing him away a little bit. So after Me Too, this is like one of the first times, I think I've watched it once before after the Me Too era, but watching it again, I'm like, oh, uh, doesn't, not great, not great. And it, it's like, it was so natural for scenes like this to be in movies like in the 90s, though, that's not even something I noted. You know what I mean? Like we talked about it this in the High Fidelity episode too, um, where there's a scene where Rob is making out with someone, a teenage girlfriend, and he's pushing himself on her. They just play differently now than they did pre Me Too, I guess, at least for me. Mm-hmm. It's like the the baby it's cold outside scene is what I was thinking of it as in my head. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> baby it's cold outside he's just talking. So, I don't No, no. <laughs> I, it's, yeah. But she but there's still the same vibe where he she he's like trying to come up with reasons that she should stay and mm-hmm. she's like no, you know. It just reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a bit more of a yeah, uncomfortable scene uh watching it uh yeah, watching it now. And the interesting thing is I'm not even like, I'm not like a hardliner like necessarily on enthusiastic consent. Like I still can enjoy scenes like something like in Moonstruck where there's a kiss that happens without, you know, Cher being, Cher's character being asked about it. But like, since she clearly enjoys the kiss, like, I'm like, all right, I'm fine with that. Um, but like when it's like a situation like this where someone say, no, no, I don't like it. Like, like go away repeatedly. Then I'm like, mm. then I start to get like, no, not great. <laughs> like, let's not have that anymore. But yeah, it's it is of its time. I'm not gonna like say the whole movie is ruined in any way because of it. And honestly, Phil's Connors is not meant to be like an admirable character at this point anyway. Like mm. we're not supposed to really be thinking he's great right now or that he deserves Rita. Like if he got together with Rita at this point in the movie, would you be happy about it? No. No. Yeah, exactly. So and there's like, something there is something admirable about Rita here where like with the whole slap sequence, because mm-hmm. it's like she's not it's kind of cool that he's not succeeding despite all of his tries and all of his like inner knowledge. Like it makes me like Rita. I like her for that. Yeah. This, this is a real good scene for, for Andy McDowell, I think, because it shows it's, you know, she's not just the, the love interest in this film. It shows another side to her. You know, she's, she's got morals. She's a strong willed person. She's, she's very intelligent. You know, she's getting onto his, his tricks and that he's trying to pull. And I suppose you needed something to start the slap sequence as well, but um, yeah, maybe they could have <laughs> could have done it in a slightly different way. But this is where her character, I think, moves on to another level to be made more um, more interesting and more rounded. I think rather than just this is the love interest in this film. 
Sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, as we said, we get a series of slaps where she's slapping him to, like, get his hands off her or stop trying to, like, get her into bed. And over and over and over again, I, I don't have the number written down of how many, but a lot. And probably implying a lot more. Okay. And then now we're going to move into the spoiler section, I think, because I can't wait to just be able to talk about the whole the movie as a whole. So if for some reason you have not seen Groundhog Day and you don't want to be spoiled, please go and watch Groundhog Day. I mean, please go and watch Groundhog Day. You should have seen it by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like Zoe's watch it, seen watch it, come it on. for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then come back to us. So after Phil has like repeatedly failed to advance things further with Rita, he goes into kind of a depression, desperation kind of a phase. And here's a clip that's denoting the state that Phil is now in and showing how depressed he has become. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. Proud like they used to mean something in this town. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites, all of you. You got a problem with what I'm saying, Larry? Untie your tongue and you come out here and talk, huh? Am I upsetting you, princess? You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong, Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's gonna be cold. It's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Man, I never really realized before, but like, it is cold and gray, and he hasn't had a sunny day in who knows how long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's some seasonal affective disorder right there. The the makeup on him in those scenes, you know, when he, um, after the, the montage, and just how just diary looks you know and just how just sunk in and gray and and how they made him you know i'm sure a lot of it is just bill murray but the the enhancements they made to make him look like that it's very subtle but it's just yeah just by looking at him you can just see the state that he's in um but i'll get in i'll I'll mention this probably a little bit later on when we get into the to other scenes that come up but there's still always he delivers it in such a way that you still or i still find it find it humorous at times or slightly funny you know oh, just yeah. the way he t- the way he turns and calls her princess you know and just that such a he delivers it in such a disrespectful way am i bothering you princess hey eh? you think you're so high and mighty and everything you don't want me um he's just adding so much into it it just it still makes you uh it still makes you laugh you know yeah he's so good at dark humor and like yeah, it's really good. good when he can be utilized for that yeah yeah so oh and in fact i wanted to mention that they did in fact eat groundhogs in the early Groundhog Day festivals. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was more of like a groundhog hunt, apparently. And they had like a groundhog feast where they ate the groundhog, possibly the same one that had just predicted the weather. I don't remember. I couldn't find like exactly what year they stopped doing that. But like, obviously, now they not only keep the groundhog alive, but they have an illusion that this groundhog has been alive like forever. So <laughs> they yeah. drink elixirs to itself. Yep, that's right. <laughs> So after this, we see like a montage where he's destroying the clock repeatedly. And honestly, you know, pretty good idea. I mean, I might have destroyed the clock right away. I've been like, maybe this clock is at fault. I don't know. Like, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Sonny and Cher. How, we're, gotta find out where they, without the internet, how will he find out where they live? So he can... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he destroys the clock repeatedly. But then we come to the really manic, exciting scene where he gets the idea that it's the groundhog's fault. And he has to kidnap the groundhog. 
And so for this scene with the kidnapped groundhog, an actual groundhog named Scooter was used. I honestly wasn't sure if that was a real groundhog, but it was. It was a real groundhog in the scene. It had, the animal wrangler for the film had actually raised a family of groundhogs to like provide groundhogs to be used in the film. And Scooter was like the best behaved of the groundhogs. So he got to be in the scene where he's where Bill Murray has him kind of driving the truck for him. But Scooter got kind of pissed off eventually and didn't like being in the scene anymore and apparently bit Bill Murray, which put an end to filming for the day. And uh, what do you guys think of the, the kidnapping the groundhog scene? So I can see how he would get to that point. I think the scene is like, a little ridiculous like silly chase scene you know <laughs> i i don't know if i always love silly chase scenes though personally it seems to me like maybe he would just like shoot the groundhog or just like oh take care of it right then and there i don't know why he has to kidnap it and you know because it's because <laughs> it's adorable <laughs> honestly if he shot the groundhog that would take it to such a dark place that i don't think i could no, make him anymore yeah, no, I know. Although I'm he still really kills the groundhog. The I'm he still just talking kill- about yeah. reality. He still kills the groundhog, though, because he drives the truck over a cliff, like, with the groundhog and him in it. So he's, like, That's honestly, true. he's still a groundhog murderer. So I don't he know. Is still a groundhog. Why is shooting it worse? I'm not sure why, in my mind. But he'd have to shoot himself as well. If he shot the groundhog and then shot himself, maybe that wouldn't... I don't know. It's a bit more impactful, I suppose. Um, I <laughs> it would have been way. more something. <laughs> the, the, the chase scene is just like, it's like almost slapstick to me. Yeah. That's, all. that's probably like what lends it the lighter mood mm. that lets him get away with killing the groundhog in my mind. I think that's probably what does it. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. it's so silly that it seems like a Looney Tunes cartoon rather than like reality. Because I thought exactly the same thing, Jim, when the, other than the shot, there's like a shot before he goes to drive off the cliff where he cuts down to the camera cuts down to the seat next to him and you see a live groundhog there. Yeah. I always thought the bit where he had the groundhog steering and this, yeah. yeah, some kind of like <laughs> fake puppet groundhog. or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think the uh, the background, because it, it obviously they're using, because I'm sure they're using like stock footage behind, you know, so when they're driving, it's not a shot of, it's a, you know, it's obviously some shot of a road somewhere else that they've just added in on the back of it um i think maybe that adds to it to make it look less real but um he's actually quite nice with the groundhog isn't he in the in the yeah. actual car you know he's teaching it to drive side of your eye <laughs> side of your eye don't drive angry <laughs> all this kind of stuff um and again it's just you know it shows how good bill murray is you know in, in it's a it's a wacky manic scene he can play it that way but also you know he's um you, you totally buy him as a man on the brink of wanting to end his life at the same time. It's, um, it's yeah, a great skill. Yeah. And apparently he was improvising a lot of the dialogue with the groundhog as well I in bet. the truck. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to know it's a real groundhog now though. Scooter. Great job. Yes. You did a fantastic yeah, good job. job in the Scooter, movie. Yeah. So yeah. And then like, yeah, he does commit suicide. Although like it didn't impact me like a suicide in the movie because I think of the madcap scene that preceded it. But Rita looks like genuinely affected by this. Like when, cause they come with their camera to capture all the action, of course, cause they're a news crew and she looks genuinely affected by it. And then we see another scene then when he's recounting to Rita, then all these other suicides he has committed. He's, he's a God, he says he's immortal. So when he's killing himself, he's not even really killing himself. And he, you know, puts a toaster in the bathtub, he jumps off a tower, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. It's dark, but it's always kind of kept at a remove where it doesn't seem very graphic, I guess. Yeah, I think the probably the most affecting one is when he jumps off the roof, I think, because, the, again, the way the use of the music and the sound and the, the way it's shot, 
and the actual dive off um, off the roof. I think that one's probably the most affecting one. So now um, he finally like starts to turn around his life a little bit, his lives or a little bit when he convinces Rita finally to spend a day with him. And he does this by predicting everything that happens in the diner, knowing everything about all the people in the diner. And th- that was kind of a fun scene. He like, it, it kind of gives you a hint of how long he's been there. Cause he is introducing literally anyone Rita points to, he knows everything about their lives. Yeah. And this is a real turn, obviously, isn't it? In the film, you've had that kind of dark moment. And then the bit I always think to in this one is where just there's that little scene where they're walking along and, and Rita tries to look at it from the positive point of view of, you know, you could think of it as a, not a curse, as a, as a blessing and think of all the things you could do. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, right. just, again, just demonstrating how, how important she is as, as a, as a character in the film and, and, you know, hopefully in, in Phil's life as well, that you can turn yeah. yourself around. I noticed that watching it too, that like, that does seem to be this really important moment and it is her. You're, you're totally right. It is her that gives him that idea of like using the time. Yeah, and at the end of that particular loop, um, she stays with him that night. Um, At first, she wants to see if anything happens, but then she ends up falling asleep. And while she's sleeping, he says to her a few things. He tells her some romantic things, including, I don't deserve someone like you, but if I ever could, I swear I would love you for the rest of my life. And that's, that's kind of a moment where he's starting to realize that, like, maybe instead of manipulating her or the situation, maybe he needs to change himself. Definitely. To become then, someone that, that would deserve her. Yeah. And I think the next morning when he wakes up, I think there's still just a, a little sense in that. So when I, when I rewatched it, there's still just that little sense of, okay, is he now going to do that? Or because now she's not there, he, he's declared a love for her and there hasn't been anything back and it hasn't changed anything is he still going to be in that depressed state and, and that negative state? Does that just the way, just the slight way it's filmed and the slight way Bill Murray performs it, it's like, okay, is he going to, is he going to go to a different path now or is he still going to stick on it? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. There's just that little, it lingers on him a little bit on his face and he's thinking, obviously, you're like, Ooh, is he still unsure <laughs> about what to do? Yeah. Yeah. No, I could see that. But he does begin to help people. We see a number mm. of things. He starts like being more courteous at his job, bringing them food, doing his work really well. He's nice to the guy in the hallway. That scene made me happy. Like he basically just greets the guy in the hallway who asks him off to see the groundhog. Like he's like an old friend. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked when he brought his uh, coworkers coffee. I just thought that was I don't know that one was just so sweet to me. Where he yeah. like is actually talking to Larry. Yeah, he doesn't even know if Larry have, has kids. You know. <laughs> yeah. Just the way he delivers that line as well. Still, that's just funny to me, you know. Larry, tell me, do you have kids? Just you know, it, there's still slight insincerity in it, in the way that he says it. You know, that still makes it funny, um, even though he's obviously trying to be sincere. Also, the other things he does, he tries to help this homeless man that he's seen panhandling every day. We find out that that homeless man dies on that day, but then like Phil Connors tries to save his life by feeding him a lot and staying with him, but he finds out that this guy just dies anyway but i guess he's at least made him a little happier on that last day like what i said earlier that i think that's the those are the moments where there's no there's no kind of com- comic value in that whatsoever he's you know the way the way he's being with him and you know calling him pop and it's just you know you're desperate for him to to start breathing when he's trying to resuscitate him and everything you know the the desperation he plays that with i think is brilliant yeah yeah well, and especially this coming after all of the suicides, you know, like he's mm. 
he's probably got a really different perspective on what it is to die on at the end of that day, you know? And it's like, there's, I'm imagining that there would be like a why me kind of element to it, where he's like, he can't save this guy, even though he's, you know, been resurrected how many times at that Mm -hmm. point, but but he can't do it for this guy. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's probably true. And then he learns to play the piano. Rita had earlier said she wants a man who plays an instrument. So he gets the idea to play the piano. The little, a little girl gets kicked out of her piano lesson because he <laughs> offers $1,000 to the piano teacher. <laughs> and what's interesting is the song that he learns to play um, when he starts playing better is Rachmaninoff Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, which is also used in the time travel movies Somewhere in Time quite prominently. I have to think that was on purpose because it came out in 1980 with Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, quite popular film. We just covered it on the podcast by the time you listen to this. Yeah, I have to feel that was on purpose being another time travel movie and the prominent romantic song used in it. So yeah, he learns to play the piano and now we come to, he doesn't know it now, but it is his last loop. Oh, I I believe you're supposed to believe this whole thing is the last loop. Would you guys agree with that? Yes. Oh, yeah, that that last day. Yeah. 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 So we come to the last loop. Phil does not know that it's the last loop. And he gives the wonderful, perfect Groundhog Day speech. When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney, and basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts. I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. From Punxsutawney, it's Phil Connors. So long. Nice speech, Phil. Very nice. Thank you. Thanks. How was that for you, too? Hey, man. You touched me. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. I gotta go. Phil. That was surprising. I didn't know you were so versatile. I surprise myself sometimes. Well, where are you going? Would you like to get a cup of coffee? I'd love to. Can I have a rain check? I've got some errands I've got to run. Okay? Phil? Errands? What errands? I thought we were going back. So we're not going to go over the perfect day in total depth, but Phil does a number of things to help people during the day. Is there, are there any of those things that are kind of your favorite things that you remember? I love the bit when him and Rita are dancing and um, the couple come up to him and thank him for making sure that they got married okay. And just um, <laughs> when he gives them the tickets and they go, WrestleMania! <laughs> Yeah. And, and did you catch this time? Like the young man in that couple is the actor, Michael Shannon, who's become quite famous. I believe he was in like the shape of water. And I know he's been in a lot of things, but I haven't seen all of them. He looks quite different as well. He's very young in this, in this film, but yeah, I love Michael Shannon. And um, yeah, it was only, I think again, it was after I'd listened to the rewatchables. So I realized that was him. And then I was like, Oh God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently that's his very first film performance. Is that, is that right? I don't know. I didn't check. I didn't actually check that, but like, it's definitely early if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I particularly like, like how he catches this little kid who's going to fall out of a tree and the kid just runs (laughs) away without thanking him. And he's like, you never thank me. I'll see you tomorrow. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite one too. Yeah. This is what I call his like Superman 
section you know what i mean that's where he's he's just here there and everywhere you know he's fixing the the the, t- the flat tire and everything that's you know i think that's a that's a great montage yeah he's just yeah, figured, he's got he, his like good deeds tour like timed perfectly to just mm, walk yeah and then this is the really funny thing i just noticed this last time i watched it he buys all kinds of insurance from ned on this loop okay and like this is the day when the next day is real. So now he is like going to wake up the next day, having bought all this insurance from Ned Ryerson. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much oh, all of this insurance funny. would cost, but it, it makes me laugh. That is funny. Because when Ned says that it's the best day of his life as well, I thought it was such a sweet, um, sweet line from Ned. And yes, you so. know, we talked earlier about the fact that Ned may also be in a time loop, and maybe that is really <laughs> what got them both out of it, was that Ned finally sold some insurance that day, and that's really been his goal. Oh my god. I love this. I love this. <laughs> I wish I wish Stephen Tobolowsky was young enough to look exactly like he did in this movie, and that movie could be made. A short film, maybe. A short film about Ned's time loop. Yes. Like, so at the end of this perfect day, like Rita was already intrigued with him at the beginning. As we saw, she's like, do you want to go get something to eat? And she meets him at this dance and they're dancing. And then there's a bachelor auction that happens. And Phil is dragged up on stage by one of the many people who know him from the town. And everyone's bidding on him. Nancy's bidding on him. The waitress from the diner's bidding on him. And finally, um, Andy McDowell, Rita, she pulls out her wallet and she says, $339.88. And she wins him. And then we get the scene with poor Larry goes up on stage (laughs) in his little sweater and he does a little twirl to this boom, boom, ba-dum, boom, music. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and nobody's bidding on him, including Nancy, who he's trying to hit on. And this old lady that is like, I bid two bits, which I guess two bits is like supposed to be like 25 cents. I thought two bits would be 50 cents. Have you ever heard two bits, Zoe? Do you know how much that's supposed to be? No, I've I've never heard that. I was like, yeah, I, I noted that when I was rewatching it because I was oh, who knew? Two bits. But I think Buster says like it's a quarter. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Poor Larry. Which is like poor Larry because he doesn't look all that bad in his sweater and I guess it doesn't have to be a date. They could get him to like move some furniture or something. Yeah. I guess it's this I is, guess it's like not the worst fate to hang out with a nice old lady either. So yeah. And the old lady was so delighted to have to have won him as well. Yeah. I got him. That's yeah. true. At least he got someone who was happy to have him. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the this this scene I think is is Chris Elliott's best kind of like run in the film because he just has these like really funny little moments like he, he leaves the tip and then takes like one of the notes back away when Nancy's turned her back yes. and stuff and when he walks into I love the dance he does when he walks into the um to the room so like Nancy's <laughs> doing that one where she's like she's really like moving her shoulders and like pointing down and stuff and he does this thing where it looks like he's like stirring up noodles or something. Um, <laughs> That's great. And then just the turn he does, like, you know, he's got a little cheeky smile on his face when he's up on the stage. He's like, yeah, come on, ladies, you want some of this? Um, <laughs> I think that's just, yeah, it's really some really good bits removing that. Nice. So there's then, like, for some reason, Phil decides that he's going to go and show Rita this ice sculpture that he can make of her face because he's learned to ice sculpt in the time period that he's been in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While we've been talking about this, though, like, because I was like, ice sculpting, what a weird thing to decide to learn to do. But it occurred to me that, like, stuck in Punxsutawney, 
like that might be one of the, without the internet, right? Without yeah. like, yeah, he can't like go ski. It's winter. Mm-hmm. Can't go skiing because he like can't get out of town. That might be one of the only options, you know? Yeah, I sculpted. If he wants yeah. to learn art form, I don't know. There's no painters in punks. You know, you know what else is interesting? Ice sculpting is a very ephemeral art form that disappears anyway. I wonder if that I might be overthinking it, but yeah. No, I like it. Yeah. Hmm. Right, because what's the point in learning to paint? Because you can't keep, you don't have your painting. Yeah. I sculpt- and ice yeah. sculpture, yeah, is meant to disappear. So it's maybe a little less crushing. You make your masterwork and you know it's going to melt. But like if you do this painting and you're like, oh my God, I never get to see this again or like prove that it existed, that would be like disheartening, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. think maybe that was on purpose now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know if it's the best way to impress a lady, though. I really don't need anyone to try to make an ice sculpture of my face. Like, I mean, <laughs> sure, I mean, it'd be nice, I guess. I mean, it would be romantic in a sense, but like, it would take a lot of time. Like, and she's saying she's cold. I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, if he knew her face so well, like he says he does, why did she have to sit out there in the cold? He could have been like, I'll be right, you know, go go warm up. I have something to show you later. <laughs> Check out my room. It's lovely. I've left some ice cream on the on the side. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll tell you when it. I'll tell you when it's done. Somehow it works anyway, though. Rita's into it, and they stand up together. And he says to her, "No matter what happens tomorrow or for the rest of my life, I'm happy now because I love you." And they kiss, and it kind of starts snowing. And it's interesting because he said he loved her in a previous scene, and she was like way not into it. She's like, "You don't. You love me. You don't even know me." But this time, she's fine with it, and. I think it's a little bit of a stretch to believe she'd be fine with it because she seems like a very practical person. But like at the same time, maybe it just marks what an attitudinal shift Phil has had. Like he's no longer grasping at something. He's being happy in the exact moment he's in right then. What do you think? I think, I think that's, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Same, same. He's, he's also shown her like, every different side of him as well you know he's she knows that he's managed to help these people and he's a giving character and he's got these things that he didn't she didn't know about because obviously they weren't there before um but um but yeah she seen like she's seen the whole spectrum of who phil is and you know that it's all genuine as well it all comes out very genuine um because it is so um so yeah i think it's yeah it does definitely stretch the terms of believability but um it's all very genuine i think um that that she sees it as well, and the genuineness, I think, comes um, from, you know, but since the last time he was really pursuing her and trying to, like, you know, get her, like, like when it was a game and she kept slapping him, right? Like, he's pr- he's gone through his, like, dark time. He's gone mm-hmm. through his depression. He's gone through his suicides. Like, he probably, at this point, just thinks this is going to last forever and that this day is all he has, right? So he, at this point, I think he's been through, like, the ringer of mm-hmm. this situation that he's in. And so he probably really, truly is, like, doesn't have any graspiness about him, you know? Mm. Yeah. To use Jen's word there. But, like, I, I think that, like more than he possibly could have. I mean, and maybe this is a good segue to how many loops we think that there might have been here, because I think that that is important. Well, first I want to ask though, why do you guys think the time loop ends? Like what, what do you think is the cause of that? Well, my head canon is now that Ned sold the insurance. <laughs> She's sticking with it. 
think it's that it's not like he's perfect, but he's probably now the best version of however he can be. Um, you know, he's fulfilled everything. He doesn't hate himself anymore. He's found someone who will love him. He's bettered himself in so many ways. He's helped so many people. There's nothing else for him to learn, I don't think. And also, I think maybe the one thing that comes into it as well is that you've put down here, he's he's let go of expectations, you know. I think he's at a point in his in his existence now where it's like, okay, I'm happy. I know that I've achieved happiness and I can achieve happiness. If it's all ends tomorrow and I'm just relooping the same day, that's fine. If it doesn't, that's obviously great. But I think he's just succumbed to the mm-hmm. point now where he's just like, okay, this is, I've achieved happiness in my life, like ultimate happiness and whatever happens next is is fine because I've at least I've experienced that. I think it's maybe that that kind of cuts in, allows him to move on in life. Yeah, I go between thinking it's because he's learned to be of service to other people and thinking that it's more just like a more a spiritual concept of just like, yeah, like ultimate acceptance and living in the exact present moment and being happy in the exact present moment, whatever the conditions are. So those are the two I kind of vacillate between. I really am kind of attracted to the the Ned selling the insurance idea now as a, a wacky version, though. <laughs> I really, I, I like that. So yes, the loop does end. Like um, Phil wakes up, like Rita comes up to Phil's room this time, I guess. And Phil wakes up to Rita in his bed. It is not implied that they've had sex. I mean, the, the, the crew actually, when they were shooting it, agreed that they don't think they'd had sex yet. He actually said, like, when she's he starts kissing her and she's like, why weren't you like this last night? You just fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. So they haven't had sex. They've just woken up in bed together. And Phil is so excited. He's like, do you know what today is? Today is tomorrow. It happened. You're here. And it's a beautiful moment, in my opinion. But even more beautiful is when you see the clock turn over to 6.01. Yes. Yeah. And, and I had forgotten when I was rewatching it that... Um, that that hit, that that day was the last loop, and so when when the alarm when the clock comes on and <laughs> yeah. it's playing, I've got you, babe. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. this is a different part of the song. Oh, mistake! And then it's like, no, it's a different part of the song because it's a new day. And I was like, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and oh, about mistakes. So I forgot to mention this earlier, but like apparently they were like super vigilant about having the same background actors and background cars in all the different loop repeated scenes. So if you look at the Ned Ryerson and Phil scene, like you'll see the same people passing by, like at I think basically the same time, like they were timing it out. So people would just keep walking by. Yeah, It's pretty impressive. Wow. Very. So in terms of like the time loops, a lot of people want to try to figure out how many time loops are in the movie. I recommend I'm putting it in the show notes. There's a great Mashable article that kind of sums up all the different ways that people have tried to calculate this and gives a lot of theories. And the author of the article in their own viewing calculated about between 34 to 44 separate days that are actually shown on screen, depending on how you interpret certain cuts. Um, My personal number I came up with was 38 loops when I was including the deaths by suicide that Phil mentioned that we don't see on camera. I don't know if either of you tried to count them at all. Did you come up with any numbers? No, I didn't. Okay, that's Um, that's perfectly fine. (laughs) Because the yeah, because the Mashable article goes through a bunch of different ones. Um, The the author of the article, though, and others agree, though, that the actual number of time loops is well more than the 38 to 44 that you could maybe see on screen Um, Mm -hmm. because of all the skills that Phil learns. Like he learns how to throw cards into a hat and says it takes about six months for four to five hours a day, which is a very specific uh, rendering (laughs) of how long that would take. 
then of course, ice sculpting, and of course, playing the piano. And the article says that Harold Ramis, it quotes Harold Ramis as suggesting that the that it was about 10 years, but then later Ramis revised that to be about 30 to 40 years because he, he said that Phil probably wasted a lot of his loops rather than learning the skills in the movie. And then the original screenwriter, Danny Rubin, had said that Phil is in the time loop for more than one lifetime. So there was also a figure that he had said that it was 10,000 years at one point, but apparently that's kind of in dispute. Like that maybe wasn't a real thing, but like, but, but Danny Rubin said at least more than a lifetime. So my question for you guys is like, how long do you think Phil was stuck in Groundhog Day? I spent a few times trying to figure out what I thought. I think I came up to about maybe 25 to 28 years. That's probably quite conservative, but that was kind of the, to fit in everything that he did learn and, and yeah, taking into account that he probably did have a few, a bit of wasted time and, and how long he pursued Brita for and things like that. Um, yeah, I think it probably is a bit more than that, but that's kind of, yeah, the, the kind of area, maybe I think it is 25, um, 25, 28 years. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I don't, I didn't get that specific. You have a really specific range there, but I, I definitely think it's multiple decades. Yeah. When I first saw the movie when I was younger, I think I assumed it was kind of a shorter period of time. Um, but mm. I think it's maybe because my mind couldn't wrap around what it would be like. Cause I wasn't even that old yet. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. like, and now, now I think like knowing like how hard it might be for somebody like him to change. I think, yeah, probably what Harold Ramis said, like 30 or 40 years or maybe even more than one lifetime it would take for Phil to make some of these realizations and to like, and to go through such a deep depression as well and then to learn all those skills. Mm -hmm. So yeah, pretty. Yeah. That kind of existential depression, I don't think you're going to like get over in a few weeks worth of days, you know, like that's. That could be a decade. <laughs> that could be two decades. I mean, you could never come out of it, maybe even. like yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I could imagine a situation where somebody just like literally was like in hell because they just couldn't get over it, like basically. Yeah. So another thing, one thing I wanted to mention, um, another thing is like, what are the implications of the time loop for people not stuck in the loop? This is the thing that kind of bothers me. Like um, I've started reading just a little bit about time and time travel and stuff like that. I don't necessarily think the time loops as they are shown here, are even possible, according to what physicists say. But like, if they were, to me, I feel like that would imply that the people in the time loop are still living in that universe. What do you guys think? Does that does that occur to you? To me, it brings up all kinds of ethical problems once you think of that. So wait, just just to clarify that, you're thinking each time, each day of mm-hmm. the loop would would be its own like timeline, yeah, like, growing out of that, yeah. Oh, wow. Because otherwise it's just so solipsistic. Like, why is the whole world stopping for just this one guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like such a self-centered genre in a way, which is ironic given that Phil Connors is a very self-centered character, right? Like, why why would all these other people, they they would, in essence, would otherwise be caught in the same time loop with you? You know what I mean? And then their actions would mean nothing. Like, other, like, that's the only way, it's the only way it seems like not. I mean, that's, that's like getting at the heart of why, why it bothers me. You know, like I was saying before, like you're developing this one-sided relationship Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, because they're all stuck around, you know, you're developing, but they're all stuck and that bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, before even considering like the moral implications, right? Yeah. Ethical implications, like, it's just kind of disturbing. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I'm thinking it's maybe that there's a time a new timeline created every time he's in one of these time loops and like those people have to deal with what the aftermath. <laughs> I don't know. That's really interesting. Steve, any Ned. other thoughts when on he, this or I was just about to say poor Ned when he gets punched out, you know, God the you know, how the injuries he might have had from that, you know, but landed badly. It could be not, you know, completely different from Ned there going, going forwards. Um so yeah, I think I always just thought of it as it, it only started going forward for everybody on that last day, like it did for Phil. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when you look at it that way, you know, who's to say that there isn't a different timeline happening everywhere where Phil is or isn't there, uh, if he killed himself or not. So, um, yeah, possibly, but I'm the type of person that thinking about that kind of thing too much would definitely break my brain. So, oh, yeah. um, but, um, but yeah, no, I definitely possible. Perhaps it's the town of Punxsutawney itself that is stuck in a bubble outside yes. of time of the rest yes. of the world. Oh no. Possibly, you know, the inner circle in their magic work <laughs> has had something to do with this, but like, you know, what if they come out, you know, what if they come out of it and like the rest of the world is like decades, hundred years, thousand years in the future. <laughs> I like this. One. So we've got another workshop for the groundhog day sequel. Groundhog day two can either be that <laughs> Phil Connor swaps body with, with a groundhog, or it could be that the rest of the world has advanced past Punxsutawney and they now need to deal with the dystopic landscape that they are encountering. Yes. This well, is the sequel I want. Yep. He says that he says, you know, let's live here you know he's not going to move out of punxatoni anymore you know that's his that's his home so he does it doesn't matter to him what's going on, on the outside that's true um, it's completely shut off by the blizzard and everything i like where zoe's going with that definitely that makes more sense to me so yeah i just like the only reason i thought about this in such depth is really that we're doing the time travel series and it's i've been trying to read a little bit on what like the theories of time travel are and one of the theory one of the only ways that people seem to think it's possible is if there were actually different universes created by this or different timelines created with time travel that kind of would resolve a lot of the paradoxes and so forth. So that's just, I've I've just started reading about this. All this stuff breaks my brain. I'm not a huge science person, certainly not a huge physics person. So to understand these advanced ideas is really hard, but I just think it's kind of fun to think about. And I, I, and I also do think it is terribly ironic that if in fact, Phil Connors is the only one, experiencing all these days it kind of almost validates his egocentricity you know what i mean Mm. he's so important that everybody else is just a player in his game at this point yeah that's so true yeah and he saves so many he is like this godlike figure that saves so many people and changes so many people's lives yeah it's ironic like how does he how what does the next day look like so maybe he'll you know as as time continues to move on normally how does he deal with this i don't know Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he just like is going to be able to just slip into this happy Punxsutawney relationship. With it would Rita. give you it would give it's you a severe be- culture shock. I feel like it would give you like a severe kind of culture shock going back to living days sequentially. Anything you want to add on this topic, Zoe, or shall we go to our double feature recommendations? No, let's let's move on. So for double feature recommendations, um, my first double feature recommendation is going to be the movie Happy Death Day from 2017. And we covered that in episode 22 of the podcast. And Happy Death Day is just such a fun uh, take on the time loop genre because it takes a slasher movie. It's kind of actually a light slasher movie. It's not very violent or gory. So if you're not a horror fan, you could still probably enjoy it. There's a lot of comedy in it as well. But it takes this like slasher movie 
And it's kind of like, what would happen if you were reliving the same day and it was the day that you got killed? And it's it's a great conceit. It makes for a really fun horror movie and a really fun take on the time loop genre too. Jessica Roth, who's like the main actress in it is so funny. And I just, I just really enjoy watching it. I think it would be a great double feature because it's not trying to be as profound per se as Groundhog Day, but it's, it's just succeeds so well at what it is doing, which is just being just like this fun, entertaining movie. I really love the sequel as well. Happy death day to you. And we'll be covering that Sybil and I will be covering that at the very end of our time loop series. So look forward to that as well. Um, My first recommendation, uh, I feel like I've recommended this before, but I can't help it. Lost in Translation from 2003, which you covered on the podcast on episode 13. I don't want to get too too in-depth with it since you've already covered it, but it's Bill Murray playing a character that I don't think is that dissimilar from Phil. He's like a mm. an older actor. He's got that same kind of like, I don't know, like sarcastic humor to him. Um, he does not get stuck in a time loop in this movie. Uh, but time, I think, is is important in this movie because he's got yeah. this very short time in which to like interact and get to know with uh, Scarlett Johansson's character. So I think it fits. And, it, and both of them are like the epitome of Bill Murray, in my opinion. And I think Steve said that earlier, too, that these are Bill Murray, like being Bill Murray. And you can see his range, but it's also like there are moments when you kind of wonder, like, are you seeing him, like an aspect of him? And I think watching them both together would be really interesting to see which parts are are, are him, which parts are the character. So, Yeah, no, definitely. That's a great choice, I think. Um, my uh, first double feature recommendation, um, I know Zoe was thinking about this one as well, so I'll part share it with Zoe, um, was um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um so obviously you mentioned Michelle Gondry earlier, uh, Jen and Zoe. So yeah. this is, uh, yeah, film directed by Michelle Gondry. Um, so it's not a time loop movie, but uh, a movie in which the main characters played by Jim Carrey and uh, Kate Winslet go back through their, from the beginning of their relationship to the prog- progression of it and then how it fell apart. And both of them, by the end of the film, learn from their previous experiences um, and have another chance at happiness together, similar to how um, Phil learns from his mistakes in order to gain respect and love from from Rita uh, in, in Groundhog Day. So just a lot of similar themes there, especially on a um, relationship perspective of how you can self-reflect and then kind of hopefully learn from that and, and kind of in, in maybe improve yourself and uh, and learn to love yourself and other people. So so yeah, that was that was yeah. my first one. Yeah, lovely movie and really a lot to think about in that one as well. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So my second double feature recommendation is Green Card from 1990. And the reason I'm choosing this is it's another Andy McDowell romantic comedy. And I think she really gets a chance to shine in this movie. She's been in a few other romantic comedies, like Four Weddings and a Funeral also. But in Green Card, her character is really much more central and very likable. And it's like, it's a very, um, it's a conceit where she and um, Gerard Depardieu, she offers to marry Gerard Depardieu so he can stay in the country, but then they have to like get along with each other. And I think what's in it for her is she gets to keep this special apartment that they want her to be in a couple to be in that apartment. Uh, So she gets something out of it too. And it sounds like a silly movie. And in some ways it kind of is, but it's also their chemistry really works. There's some beautiful writing in it. 
And her acting is so good in this movie. And I just like to watch a rom-com with a rom-com sometimes. So, oh, and I should mention Happy Death Day. I mean, we covered it on the show. So obviously it has rom-com elements too, but like Green Card is much more of a pure romantic comedy as well. So yeah, I just like to give Andy McDowell some credit. Uh, on that note, oh, one of my recommendations is Multiplicity from 1996, which I picked because it's an Andy McDowell movie that I've seen. And it also like, to me, this, this is like a really personal recommendation. I don't know if I think this is a really excellent movie. I am probably not going to go watch it anytime soon, <laughs> but I remember <laughs> watching it in that same time period. And so like, it's got that like mid nineties vibe to it. I sure. think but what happens in this movie and it's also got like this fantasy romance element, right? So what happens in this movie is Andy McDowell is married to a character played by Michael Keaton and he clones himself several times and somehow manages to hide the fact that there are four of him living in the house from his wife, Andy <laughs> McDowell. Can we spoil this or should I, should I not? Don't spoil it. Maybe. Spoil. Yeah. Don't spoil it. <laughs> well, things happen in this movie with, with uh, Michael Keaton's clones and Andy McDowell. And I don't know. I also just wanted to throw some Andy McDowell love South Carolina actress, mid nineties vibe multiplicity. Nice. <laughs> oh, also directed by, Harold Ramis too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and just another thing from that, sorry, just a quick thing, um, because I love this. Michael Keaton kind of he was either circling around the role of Phil Connors or was offered it, um, but didn't take it because he didn't get the the script or the concept. Um and he says it's one of his major regrets. And then he turns up playing in um in multiplicity so maybe a case of i I haven't watched that film in a long time uh zoe but i maybe just yeah backing the wrong horse on that one possibly to go for multiplicity instead of groundhog day well it worked out for the rest of us for the for the world yes indeed indeed so my second one was um sorry is uh about time so this is richard curtis's last um film that he directed and this is a time loop film so Donald Gleason's character in it can travel back in time to periods of his life and replay them. Um, and he does it to, uh, at first he does it to improve his love life. Um, so yeah, he meets, uh, meets his future wife through, through being able to travel back and, um, and meet her. There's, yeah. When I read some of the research that you'd said uh, that you'd done, um, Jen, and you put in about the time thing about, you know, that you mainly being used by guys to, to kind of get with women <laughs> and stuff. This is a prime example of that happening. Yeah. Um, when I watched it with my wife the other night, we're a bit like, oh, it is a slightly troublesome, isn't it? The way he actually kind of goes about it. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's, um, I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen it. I hadn't seen it for years and I watched it the other night and I think maybe just, oh, you know, cliche thing, but like kind of being a parent now and all that kind of stuff, you have a different, just a, maybe a different way of looking at it and, and feeling about it. Um, children are a big thing in it and, and kind of yeah. parents and those relationships. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think, um, I think it'd be a good um, double feature with Groundhog Day being quite a different film, but sharing the same concept. And yeah, and we're actually going to cover that um, coming up in a few weeks uh, with Jason Kleberg from the force five podcast. will be joining us to talk about, about time. So yeah. oh, that's great. I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have them. Um, we'll have a whole bunch of these classics all together. Yeah. And then my final um, double feature recommendation is actually, it's another time loop movie where a guy is trying to impress a girl (laughs) and it's, it's not as, it's not, I don't think as highbrow as either Groundhog Day or About Time, 
It's um it's a Netflix movie. It's called When We First Met. It came out in 2018. Honestly, I can't remember the names of the two actors. I didn't write them down, the two main actors, but these are uh, comic actors that you'll kind of recognize if you've seen a lot of more contemporary comedies, kind of light comedies. And the main character in this one, he is in a situation where his best friend is about to get married to someone else. He has been in love with her basically since the first night he met her, but he's never really confessed his feelings. He felt like he missed his moment. And he, through the means of a photo booth, he gets the power to go back in time to the very first night he met her and uh, try to redo things. And then he ends up getting, ending up waking up with the consequences of what he has chosen to do on those days. And he finds out that the consequences aren't always as great as he might have thought. And so he keeps going back to the photo booth to kind of reset the timeline. So it's kind of an interesting um, meditation on like what happens if you actually can change time to get what you want. Is it really going to end up the way you think it will? So yeah, it's on Netflix. When we first met, a nice like light and fun movie. So my my last recommendation is Run Lola Run, which is a German movie from 1998, and this is a time loop movie. Um, but it's not multiple days. It's like the same 20 minutes that's shown. I think three times in the movie and the main character Lola has to uh, deliver some money to her boyfriend until she does it successfully, which I'm spoiling all these movies, Jen. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, do you run, Lola, do you run do Lola, that again? No, run Lola runs still worth watching, even if you understand what's going to happen. So, yeah. And I think, so this isn't, it's not technically a romance. I think it's considered like a thriller, but it does have a romantic element because she is doing this for her boyfriend. So Yeah. So my uh, third double feature recommendation is another Bill Murray film and it's Scrooged from 1988. Um, probably one of my favorite Christmas films, I think. Mm. And yeah, just another brilliant, very manic um, Bill Murray performance. And yeah, it's, it's not a time loop. It's, it's obviously Scrooge, but updated to the, to the 80s. Um, so that basic story. It, it's got a lot of the, um, you know, the changes that uh, Phil Connors has in, in Groundhog Day. Bill Murray's character in Scrooge experiences similar things and, you know, kind of learns to respect other people, love other people um, and, and enjoy himself and not be so preoccupied with maybe things that, that don't matter as much. And um, yeah, it's got some other kind of classic Bill Murray lines and, and performances in it as well. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet, but I haven't seen it. So this Christmas I should get around to it for sure. Yeah. It's really good. Really, really good. Yeah, you'll, you'll enjoy well, it. That's a really interesting pick, too, because I was thinking of of A Christmas Carol, just like I was thinking of it in play form because that I saw the pl a play version of it last winter. But mm -hmm. I think that that story like does have like resonance with Groundhog Day. So cool yeah. Choice. yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for both of you for being on this episode and adding so many interesting thoughts and ideas. Like Steve, uh, thanks for bearing with us. We had a, a long recording today. I, I really want to encourage people to follow up with Steve's work. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at films are the juice on Instagram at these films are the juice and on his Facebook page for me, these films are the juice. And in each case, the R is just the letter R. So, and it's in our show notes, so you can find them via our show notes as well. But like, yeah, it's just been a delight to have you on the show, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having me, Jen. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, lovely to speak to, to yourself, Zoe, as well. And um, yeah, I 
I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, yeah, would love to let's come on again sometime in the in the future, and, and can't wait to have you on on mine in um, October time. Yay! Awesome. Yeah, and and thanks everybody for listening today, and uh, hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Bye everyone. Bye everybody. Thank you. Thank you.